Hello everyone, welcome to Lumen Industries Radio, where we talk about all things Lumen Industries. This is a severance review podcast brought to you by Mangum Talks. I am your host, Lee. I am here. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Spencer. How are you? I'm just so happy that you chose to hire me for this job. I'm just so excited to be here. Welcome to Lumen Industries. Um, if you have questions, uh, you are not alone. Uh, how would <laughs> you even those, do have, that? How would you even do that if you were welcoming somebody to Lumen? I guess you would do it exactly like was done in this in this episode. I guess I would just throw you unconscious onto a conference room table and I would ask you a series of questions from a binder. I guess that's how I'd do it. Did did your job not start that way? Isn't that how jobs start? Yeah. That is that why every time I ask you what you do for a living, you go bah bah bah. That, that is a key part ah, of the reason. Ah, yes, ah, I've been. I don't. I, I don't really remember. I can't. I, I can't tell you what I did today. Actually, it, it's all a blur. This is true. Oh, we're going to get into all the ethical questions about severing, <laughs> severing your work life versus your personal life. I'm so excited to talk about this show. We are Mangum Talks, and on the Mangum Talks Podcast Network, we review television shows. And on these television show reviews, I have been talking about severance. Times that it had absolutely nothing to do with severance. I would work it into conversations where it had, we were talking about fucking White Lotus on HBO, which is a completely different show. We were talking about Ted Lasso, which if you could get a definition of a different show, I mean, other than being on the same (laughs) network, it is absolutely Mm -hmm. fundamentally different. I have talked about severance over and over again. The idea that I get to now review it with you who are unsullied. You are severed yourself. You are at any, you are day one. You have not seen the show. This is my understanding about you. You have not seen the show and you do not know where it's going. Is that correct? I have not seen the show. I have not read the Wikipedia article. I've not even read any reviews other than to see what their numbers and letters are and be amazed how high they all are. I am so excited about this. So we are going to review severance here on this podcast feed. Now you are probably listening to this because we have cross listed this podcast on our Ted Lasso review podcast feed and our uh, succession podcast review feed. The reason we're doing that is because those shows are over. That's it. Those shows are over. So if you want to follow us to the next show, good news. This is the next show. Uh, the podcast feed is called Lumen Industries Radio, a severance review podcast. Lumen Industries Radio, a severance review podcast. We will be doing this once a week as we go through the back catalog of season one, which aired last year, preparing for season two. Now, season two, my understanding is it has stopped, produ- stopped production due to the writer's strike. So it'll probably be a little while before season two comes out, but we will be ready because we will have reviewed all of season one. Now, our format here on the Severance Review Podcast is I will do the recap, recap with Lee. I will do my level best not to include spoilers in that. Guys, <laughs> I am terrified that I'm going to do that. And then we will jump to our segments. First segment, Employee of the Week, had to do it. Had to mm. do it. Employee of, of the required. Week, which is basically our favorite character of the week. We will award Employee of the Week. Then we will jump to best line of the episode, best line of dialogue from the episode that Spencer or I liked. And as in keeping with all Mangum Talks podcast, I will be God Emperor of the segment. Spencer, however, will supply me gamely every week with nominees. Then we will jump to what I think will quickly become the people's favorite. <laughs> Segment. I know it will be mine, and that is Spencer's questions of the week. This is an unsullied person, somebody who does not know anything about this show other than having watched one hour of it, doesn't know where it's going, has read nothing about it, and he will have questions. Of course, he will have questions every week about the show. And I have not told you yet how I'm going to handle your questions, so let me go ahead and reveal that to you now. Looking forward to it. You ask questions, and I okay. will, in my status as God Emperor of the podcast, 
Make a decision on if I can answer that or if I have to kick the can down the road. <laughs> I'm suspecting for most of the questions I have at present, you will not be able to answer a single one of them. I'm thinking I might be able to do some partial answers here and there. Okay. But, um, I think that m- more telling than what my answers are is what you're questioning every week. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be more telling, right? Because this was, for me, the show was Mystery Box storytelling at its best. Like, Mystery Box can be kind of hokey. Um, I think that you, I don't think this, but I think you would probably say, tell me if I'm wrong, an example mm. of bad mystery box storytelling was season one of Rings of Power. How they had this sort of couple of mystery say, box yes. things in it. You didn't seem to appreciate that. A lot of fans didn't. I know they're going a different way with season two. So it has been done poorly in television. I personally think it's done really well here. I think, mm-hmm. I think that the begging the question every week is very reminiscent to me of something like a um, currently Black Mirror, maybe Twilight Zone previously. And those two shows, I think, have done mystery box storytelling really well. I think Severance does it really well as well. And I'm excited to get into it. Spencer, anything you want to say about your thoughts about the show, what you knew about the show, uh, any background knowledge you have before we jump into the recap of episode one? The sum total of my knowledge about this show before I watched this first episode was you talking about it on our last, like, five shows non-stop. of podcast. Pretty much nonstop. Every reference that you could possibly make, you were making to the show in a way that somehow avoided anything resembling spoilers other than to say that Severance was awesome. So not, knew nothing going in. Initial opinions, I'm intrigued, if nothing else. It is... It's like it's as if Wes Anderson did an episode of The Twilight Zone in terms of my feel about the show so far. And I didn't think I'd ever mix those words together, but somehow they fit, and I'm very interested to see where it goes. It is almost purposefully, at times, paced, bordering on boring, but in a way that isn't boring for me to watch it. I'm just watching a character do something boring. And that's interesting. It's very intentional. It is almost purposefully plotting as they go go through certain moments. I'll be curious to see whether that rubs me raw going into the future, but at present, there is such just such a clear element of craft that is apparent for, just from the word go. I have confidence that whatever I'm being depicted on, on screen has a certain architectural intent behind it. I can say that I can guarantee that. <clears throat> that that, that it, there is, it is going somewhere that... You should have faith in the show. I can say that. I will also say this. Let me give <laughs> let me give you a compliment real quick. You would be a wonderful wrestling this man. You would be a wonderful before. wrestling manager. Because Ooh. if Spencer decides that he likes you, he has a really great way of hyping you up to other people. And you have done this for years about your parents, right? Like I, I know that you're you're giving me the, the like the positive, right? But the stories you tell me about your parents are Always compelling, always interesting, and they seem like people with particularly good case taste, especially your father. And you said that he started watching it because he, you know, you told him we were going to do this. And I, th- what was your explanation that he came away with? It was something like Twilight Zone meets something meets something, and it, whatever the hell it was, it was perfect. You said it was the Twilight Zone talking about the Matrix with intense philosophy about Scientology. Ding, ding, ding! Absolutely <laughs> perfect. <laughs> It was. I, I thought that was such a wonderful explanation of of at least how the show presents initially. I'm excited to hear what he thinks. Also, as we go, maybe we can make that a recurring segment. You can tell us a little bit about what your dad's thinking as he watches the show along with us. But I think it's time to jump in the recap. We are here, episode one. What a title for episode one of this show! Good news about hell. <laughs> this, this is a, this is an example of a title of where. It, 
used to be that, you know, there, there wasn't word of mouth about shows. You'd just find things. Like, you'd be scrolling through the TV guide, and you'd just see the name of a show and the name of an episode. If I saw this name of an episode going through the TV guide, I would watch this show, purely sight unseen, because of the name. The name is enough. I would also like – so two things I'd like to say about this before we get going. One is there are nine episodes in this season. So there's your – set the expectation. You're going to get nine episodes, right, in this season. The second is I thought this season of television was so good that when House of the Dragon beat it at the Golden Globes, I you was upset. Pissed. I you was upset. Now, I'm the guy who doesn't miss a, doesn't miss a, a fucking Song of Ice and Fire con. I go, I will travel. I literally just in December went all the way to fucking California to go to a Game of Thrones con. That's how much I love that universe. Mm-hmm. And I was angry that House of the Dragon won. I was so into season one of the show. There has never been a moment more on this entire podcast of everything we've done of when you've caught me more flat footed with that moment of where you just asked me like live what my thoughts were. And I said, well, you know, I feel good about the show. And you immediately went, no, it's utter bullshit. Bullshit. It show bullshit. Yeah, you wouldn't what? expect it from me. I love, I love a song of ice and fire. I love George R. R. Martin's world, but this season of television I thought was that good. So with that introduction, let me jump in here to the recap of episode one. Good news about hell. First off, I'd like to say that, um, the commercials that Apple Plus has for upcoming shows before this, I, Apple Plus is, is coming with some heat. Uh, they are, they're producing some good shit. I've watched, I've watched now shrinking. Ted Lasso, of course. Her, her shrinking was good. I've watched Severance, of course. And then another show I'm watching right now on Apple Plus that's really good is Silo. So Apple Plus, mm. I think, is put, pumping out some pretty good content, which I'm, I am excited about. So anyway, but let's get into the recap. We start with, who are you? An image of a woman lying passed out on a conference room table. She wakes up, says hello. Then we hear this from the speaker. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Hi there, you on the table. I wonder if you'd mind taking a brief survey. I love that the table is part of it. I love that the fact that the table is on the script means the table is part of the initial experience. They could have put her in a chair. Nope. They could have just put her, you know, laying in a bed. Laying face down on a conference room table is part of the initial experience now, of being in Lumen Industries. Now, what does that Why? Ima- what does that imagery tell us? Let's go back to uh, English 101. What does that imagery tell us? Her, she's on the conference room table. Uh, I mean, she is effectively being birthed from the, from a very corporate setting. She is emerging into this world through the medium of the office environment. It's no element of, you know, comfort. There's no element of everything else. It is part of a office emerging social experience. I'd also say that what happens at a conference table is the work, right? Yes. That's what you do. You sit at a conference table, you do the work, right? Or, or, or you do the, or, or you do the things in between the work. You do the necessary social meetings or whatever else. So the imagery suggests to me, she's on the table. She, th- this is the work, right? Anyway, that's, that's kind of what I got from it. Uh, he says five questions. I know you're sleepy, but I just bet it'll make you feel right as rain. Doesn't that make you so settled? Doesn't that settle you right down right as rain? What, what wonderful script writing. Great copy. Uh, the, this is an example of whether I'm not entirely sure at this point from experience this episode to what degree I'm supposed to experience this universe as surreal or as intentionally surreal. But this is one of the moments of if their objective is to calm people down, they need to hire a scriptwriter as fast as possible because it's having the complete opposite effect. Okay, let me answer that implicit question now before we get to the segment. Okay, this is the world. It's this not. Is the world. A, it's this is not a dream. 
It's not a, it, not, this is the, this is the world. It's just, this okay. is, this is the world. There are some a, weird, there are some weird damn people in this world we're going to get to. Some of them is, are even weirder outside of the, outside of Lumen. This is all happening. Everything okay. you see is happening. Gotcha. I bet it will make you feel right as rain. She seems confused about I why disagree. she's here and who is talking to her. She asks who's speaking as she starts to move around a little. She gets off the table. She struggles to walk. She limps around the padded room. She tries to leave, but the door is locked. I'd just be thrilled to chat once we run the survey. It comes over the speaker again. He asks if he can begin with question one. She says she isn't taking the fucking survey, getting more and more heated. She tells him he's not. She's not taking the survey. Survey asked to be let out of there. She circles the room, gets back to the door, starts banging on it. Hey, let me out. Open the door. Would you have taken the survey? Would you have gone through the same rigmarole that she goes through of trying to escape before taking the survey? So is the more accurate question. So you know, you know uh, that she's been severed, right? You know this. Well, I learned this eventually. Yes. 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 Um, so she's basically just waking up. I don't know what I she's would do. She's newborn into the world. I don't know what I would do. I I tend to default to working within systems. That is my my default. And with that in mind, I probably would have taken the survey. You, you probably would have what burned the place down, pissed on the door. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I would have very much provided answers to the survey. So as to find weakness to exploit later. Ah, there you go. She eventually tumbles backwards as she pulls in the door and it doesn't open. We get a shot of the intercom on the desk and she sits up, looks at it. She says, Hey, hello. It responds. Five questions. She says, he confirms five questions. And she asks what she gets at the end. Depends on your answer, the voice says. Intimidating. Okay. Intimidating Off we go. response. Now to start, who are you? So the, the voice that is coming from the speaker, you probably recognize that actor. I mean, I think that I did. Uh, it's the guy from Parks Rack. It's yeah. A- A- Adam Scott is Adam Scott is his name. Yeah, that it, is him. Adam Scott plays Adam Scott roles, and Adam Scott is perfect for this role. He is pretty darn good. So he says... Now to start, who are you? She doesn't love the question. He's his first name will do, she thinks and thinks. And she seems a bit astonished. And she says, I don't. And it seems like she can't remember. He says, that's just fine. She can't answer. She asks, what is this? And he says, okay, unknown. And he moves on to the next question. In what U.S. state or territory are you born? I don't know. Unknown. and, And at this point, I'm getting it. I'm like, Oh, they've deleted her memory in some shape or form. Why? What does this mean? Why is this occurring? Yeah, because the guy who is answering the asking the questions and recording her answers, he's seems, treating this as expected. Yeah, it's very yeah. The fact that she says, I, "I don't know my name," he doesn't, you know, flinch to that. He, there's no flinching at all, right? Like so, that's he's not pressing expected. a panic button next to him to call on medical personnel. He then asks her to name just any U.S. state or territory. She says, "I don't she know." She she can do that. What do you think if you if I wiped your memory, you woke up, new baby boy, but you I mean mm-hmm. you you have your background knowledge, you just don't know what the hell's going on. And I ask you to name a state. What do you think the first one out of your mouth would be? I thought about this. I just like cleared my mind what the first states occurred, and the two that jumped in my head at roughly the same time were North Carolina and Texas. I no, North Carolina has a reason. Texas, not sure. Interesting. I w- I think I would have said I think I would have said North Carolina or Florida. Those have a more logical connection for you, I think. I do want to be in Florida one day. The door opens. She seems scared. And he says, that's a perfect score. Cut to the credits. It's the show severance. What What did you think of the credits? I'm curious. You, we've done a lot of credit reviews before this. The credits were solid. I think it's fantastic. It's exactly the tone, the right tone to strike for this show. 
Because mm-hmm. if it was like, let's say it was a big like Westworld like type introduction, right? It wouldn't have fit. This is not a fan. This is not fantasy. Like you're not, there, there's not going to be like big armies fighting, right? Like, and it's not, no, no, you're no. not supposed to be in the fantastical mindset. This is more, uh, sci, I would say maybe more sci-fi. Uh, and so I think that it's a much more understated intro, which is appropriate. The most effective thing about the show is the mystery about the mundane. If they'd gone over the top for the intro or any other point of the episode, I don't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't have fit what they're otherwise doing so well. Cut to a man crying. He's in his car, just crying away. Do you do a more? Do you do a car cry? Do you do a morning cry when you go into? The, not that you go into the office, you lucky bastard. But if nope. you had to back in the day, uh, I have done car cries before. But I got to tell you, not not in a, not in a. Not in a place in my life where I need to do car cries right now. I feel pretty good about things. Happy for you, man. Happy for you. I don't think uh, our friend Mark is, though. I don't think Mark is. This is Mark, by the way. We learned his name later, but I can go ahead and Mark call him Mark. Scout? <clears throat> Mark right? Scout. That's his name. It's Adam Scott. He reaches down for a tissue, and we see a name badge with his face on it for Lumen mm-hmm. Industries. So this is the name badge that he has in his car, presumably on the way to work, right, for Lumen Industries. He composes himself, gets out of the car, jacket on. There are a lot of – this is a detail I want to focus on. There are a lot of cars in the parking lot. There, there were, I focused on this for a minute because there are a lot of cars and a lot of them are the exact same car. And that was one of the moments of – I was entrusting the show enough of where I was pondering, is that a hint? Is that a clue? Is there something going on here? Rather than assuming it was it was cheap CGI and they just copy-pasted the cars. But there are certainly a lot of cars there. They talk later about how their entrances are staggered. This is important for the severance people. For the severed people. So clearly he comes in after the bulk of people come in, right? Because the parking lot is full when he's coming in. And it seems, and we can address this in questions later if you prefer, but the severed floor is relatively small. Only maybe four employees from what we saw there ignoring the management, which I don't think are severed. We'll go into that later. It seems like the bulk of the people that work here are not severed. At least this severed group. Sure. Yes. The separate. I don't think we, we I don't, know exactly. I don't think we know that this is the only group of severed people there. I think that there is an the implication. Only one told. I think there is an implication in, in episode one that there are a lot of people who work there who aren't severed, and I mm-hmm. think that those people come in first and leave before the severed people, right? Because later, it's when an we empty see parking Mark lot, Lee, yeah. it's an empty parking lot. Exactly. He walks into the building, shows his badge to a lady who picks up the phone and says, "Are you ready for Mister Scout?" Our POV guy stands there. Very controlled. The lady stays on the phone, says, thank you, tells him, go ahead. And our character walks around that table, badges in, and walks through to a larger concourse. And, and this was, again, the very Wes Anderson feel. Also, just in terms of, like, the the, ge- the geometry of everything. Everything is shapes. Everything is very much driven around shapes and kind of physical images associated with that. Everything is also so late 70s, early 80s style for this office building, which is... Very unique and very intentional in a way I don't fully understand yet. Yeah, I mean, I got the impression from just because of, and this has nothing to do with the the rest of the show. This was just my feeling when I watched it in the first episode based on my interactions with the real world is that when I see in 2023 an office building that looks like this, it's a company that's been around a while. Yeah, right? it's, this, this, it's, the, it's the IBM of the neighborhood kind of ex- thing. Yeah, exactly. That's a great, very great example. Like it's a, it's a company that was rolling in the 70s and 80s, and that's pop- probably when this building was built, right? That was at least my idea of it. In the concourse, there's a very large image of an older man's head. 
kind of just huge up against the wall, sort of overlooking them all. Do, do we get a name of the of the old man? I started calling him. I think it was a uh, Mister uh, Egan, based on the questions that were earlier. But I, don't, I didn't always know if we if he was identified. I don't think that he was identified, but that's a good theory that it might be Mister Egan. He walks down some stairs and he comes to a hallway. The hallway is a sign that says SVRD Access Severed mm-hmm. Access. He walks up to a door, presses a button to get in. He goes into another room, puts his stuff in a locker. Now, I think the locker part is interesting, right? <clears throat> because he – I think I think in an effort – so this is how I, I took this. You tell me if you took it any differently. Mm-hmm. I think in an effort not to explode his his brain, his in his brain, he does not – He so when he's coming into work every day, he's going to wear different things. He might have a different watch. Sure. He might have this. But he has to like almost costume up. For his any, because <clears throat> otherwise his any, I love that his any. That's that's what they that's what they end up terming it. Okay, um, they and otherwise the, the any would be basically walking up to the elevator at the end of the day, and then pressing a button, and then bam, all of a sudden have different shit on, and I think that would fuck with him, right? So I think he costumes up for his work self. I think it's a very important process of maintaining a certain element of continuity that you have to abandon the artifacts of the other life. You need to actually start with some degree of consistency in the world that the person is adapting, this other separate life this guy has. If there are artifacts of their confusion, you can even see that when he accidentally brings a tissue in there and he seems briefly baffled and put off by the fact of what is this? Why is this here? Before he throws it away. I think that process, that de-suiting up, as it were, is a key aspect of maintaining those two two different parallel lives. Right. And, you know, it it probably would be even more detailed than what they take the time to show us, right? Like, I would think that maybe you'd want to have the same socks on every day. I think you'd want to have the same shoes on every day. Because, like, otherwise... There'd be an outfit you put on. Otherwise, you would just sort of combust, like, with just, like, you press a button and all of a sudden you're just different and that would probably fuck with your mind. So like, I, I think this, this locker room thing, and it's interesting that he's got two different badges, right? He's got mm-hmm. the badge that gets him in and then he's got the badge that his innie will use during the day inside. And that one stays the same, right? Um, and, and the XD, what, what, what do we call the other life? Whatever else. Uh, that one has allowed a certain degree of knowledge about what the innie has and what the innie doesn't, that the innie otherwise seems to lack. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he gets a suit on, or he's got a suit on underneath the jacket, mm. but he takes the jacket off. He puts things in the locker, phone keys, switches out the watch, puts on different shoes, puts his badge in the locker, and he walks up to an elevator. Now, it's important to note that the badge that he has going, that his innie has when he goes in, does not have an, a picture on it. Nope, just color. Just color. Walks up to an elevator. There's another security security person there. He scans our this guy scans our character, so it kind of it's like a more of a what you might see at like an airport or something. I think his name is Judd. If I wrote that down correctly, but he's very casual about it. Like he doesn't seem like he he doesn't think that Mister Scout has a is a big security concern. I don't think right. Now, all of this is very casual. I mean, with the level of security that they're implying with respect to this, the level of just independent oversight that's attached to this is notable. Mm-hmm. Very casually. Seems like an everyday occurrence. He tells Mr. Scout, I'll see you this evening. 
He responds, yep, see you soon. Mr. Scout gets out of the elevator, puts on a different badge. The elevator goes up. And as it does, our character closes his eyes, seems to almost shut off for a moment, then reopens them as the elevator reaches its floor. Does it go up or does it go down? I assumed it was going down. Uh, he goes, yeah, it goes down. You're right. Okay, okay. Right. Um, but the, I think the important part it, is that that as it travels floors, it seems that's when the, the transformation happens. How do they do that? I, I I don't know whether it's physical acting on the part of Adam Scott, which if so, he's doing it beautifully. I don't know whether it's a change of the lighting. I don't know whether it's even a special effect that's being associated with it. But it's a different person that walks out of that elevator each time. So, there is just a physical change that occurs with respect to that person. They're like, they thin, it, they look different when they go between one location and the other. It's fascinatingly done. So they do, they do look different. I also think a big part of kind of putting it in the audience's head, what's going on here is the sound. Because yeah. there's almost like a mm-hmm. yeah, thing yeah. that happens that you, that you very much would associate with like a a transition, a yes. a flipping of the dial from one to another, and that that and then Adam Scott, of course, acts it, and he almost seems to like pop up, like mm-hmm. his shoulder just kind of come up, and he's like, "Oop! All right, here I am again." Right? Well, um, it all works. I think it works. He immediately seems decidedly more upbeat than he ever was before. I felt like I knew. Oh, this guy is there there's something going on in this building yes that's flipping him over i feel like i knew that on watch number one i felt like i knew that right away 100 percent. the moment that he went through that elevator effect like oh this is a different dude now that we've landed on whatever floor we're on so i think it's out of the elevator we get some really solid samba elevator music plans you know like get rolling as he walks through the nondescript office place nothing on the walls he pulls out the tissue gives it a strange look this is the moment you were talking about before throws it away so even even something like that which i would I would venture to guess that his non-work self made a mistake by leaving the tissue. Hundred percent in the in the um, in the pants. I don't think he's supposed to do that. I think that was a mistake. That was an error in the matrix. Yeah. Um, he walks through a short maze of hallways. Now, one of the big not, motifs not, of this not short, not short. Okay, well, a long maze of hallways. Um, Three minutes and 32 seconds without dialogue. I well, wrote not, it down. You've not worked at a real big company before with these big, big <laughs> huge buildings, but it, that, this is, this is kind of standard. B- I will say this. Big, huge, empty building. Emphasis on empty. He doesn't see another person until he gets to a little cubicle, basically, with another person living there. That's true. That's a true thing. I'll say that the, the, the hallway motif is a really good one for me in the show. It works for me to really give mm. you the idea that this is a, Hyper corporate atmosphere. This is, this is, these are cogs in a wheel. These are people working in an office. Like that's what you're supposed to realize. This is one of the early examples I got on the show, but this is a show that is willing to be patient, is willing to draw out a scene to set the theme and set the setting and set the situation that they want the audience to understand. Because again, it is rare to see a show that just goes three and a half minutes straight with not only no dialogue, but just following a person walking empty hallways. How many shows are willing to do that just kind of long take of nothing? Definite demeanor change. A little cough as he goes. Big smile from our guy checks his watch. Spencer, do you have any theories as to why this – the guy is smiling when he gets to work? Why he all of a sudden becomes happy when he gets to work? 
Well, my eventual conclusion is because he's a, basically a different dude that is living a separate life, unburdened from the trauma that he, you know, severed himself to not have to experience every single second of every single day. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, I, and I don't think we need to hide that, right? Because everybody who's watching this has seen episode one. His wife died. Yes. And he did the severance thing in part to get away from that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was trying to get away from that pain. He wanted... I guess, he, I guess his thought was, it's a really human thing. I guess his thought was, I will, at least, I, at least there would be this part of me that for seven or eight hours a day will not know that my wife died. And that is what I think we're seeing. I think that when he pops into the, when he goes down the elevator and he pops down the hallways, now he doesn't know his, he didn't know he had a wife and he doesn't yeah. know she's dead. He is so desperate to avoid having to address or process or whatever else to reach an otherwise healthy resolution, the pain of his lost wife, that he is willing to remove any experience of eight hours of his day just to have that clear of that just depression. Yeah, I have a question for you. Yes. If you are making a choice, um, I don't want to deal with this trauma. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do this severed procedure so that let's say 12 hours a day to make it a round number. So for yeah. 12 hours a day, I don't remember this. Are you in effect committing partial suicide? Yes. Okay. If you are removing an aspect of your life from any experience of yourself, not just even sleeping, but just literally completely dividing it, setting a great so wall of China between one part of your life and one of the other, this is your life and that isn't. You are that—that that is a gateway that is ber- verging on an aspect of death. So many hallways here. And he walks into a room that has green carpet, short ceilings, and there's a set of cubicles in the middle of the floor. Very small walls around each cubicle. Mister Scout walks in, uh, sits down at one of the desks. It looks like four desks all connected in this room. He sits down. And he turns on a small award light image of himself that says Mark S. Allentown. Mm, yep. With with the weirdest little, like, hasn't been made since the late 80s computer. That's true. It is very old tech as far as the computer. Now, that's something we can talk about. But this little thing that he's got, it looks like a it looks like a little employee of the whatever yeah. award, right? I want one of those. I'll take one of those. Please, give it to me. Well, you know, just keep doing your best in the podcast. And maybe one day you'll be the Mangum Talks Employee of the Week. I aspire to that, sir. I will, I will work hard for it. We hear a voice that says, you're breathing shitty. He says, sorry, you're sick. Maybe. Maybe Petey was sick yesterday. The other character who sits on the opposite side of the cubicle tells our Mr. Scout that if he breathes on him, he'll rip his larynx out. Wow. That went right to 10, he says. Did our character starts ripping out his germ. Our character says that ripping out his germ-riddled larynx may get him sicker faster. Nah, endorphins. Oh, so we have a little back and forth here. Little, it's clear that these two characters know each other and they have a pretty good rapport. They're joking back and forth. I got the name of the other employee that eventually is going to show up here in a second. I don't think I ever got the name of this guy. Do we know this guy's name at this point in the show? Um, we do learn his name. Um, and I'll get to it in my notes later. I've forgotten what it is right okay. now, but we'll, we'll get to We'll it. get there. We'll get there. And then we see the computer start up and it is an old looking computer that just pops up Lumen. The other character we just met says, Petey better not be out for the day because I'm about zero seconds away from wrapping the Tumwater file and he needs to process it. So this is some work jargon. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I think he's out. So this character, Petey, we know Petey is out of the office. He was there. He, he was somebody that they worked with. 
He was sick yesterday, and now he is not there anymore. Let's focus on the fact, and we'll return to this later, that from all of their perspectives, other than being sick, he seemed normal yesterday. We will return to that later. The other character. Um, let me see the let me see the computer screen. Drainsville is what it says. Drainsville, D R A N E S V I L L A. And then it goes to a screen with Lumen in the top right corner, Drainsville in the top left, and a series of dots in the center of the screen. Dots that reveal like numbers, numbers. and letters that you move into little like boxes at the bottom of the screen. It seems like almost like a clearing out. It's like a pattern. You have to do some matching to clear things off of the screen is what it looked like to me. Yes, which is a very... I don't get this job, and that is one of the questions that I will go into later. I mean, all we get about what described his job is is that he's in macro data refinement, which is the most 1984 Ministry of Truth name possible for what this guy is doing for a work, for, for a living. All we see of it is him moving data in some assigned little groups into boxes at the bottom of the screen. I don't understand anything else about his job other than people assuming it must be involving sensitive information. So our character, the, fun, the, the other character, the funny one, says, if it doesn't process today, they won't know until Tuesday of next week. It's typical Lumen bullshit. Our character says, careful guy. What you think of that careful he gave him? That was interesting. I wouldn't have thought they'd have that kind of perspective on having to be afraid. At least I didn't think so at the time. I get information later that they do have a certain element of perspective on the corporation and what to be concerned about. But that one put me on edge. But, like, this is the guy that seems utterly carefree as he walks down this hallway. But he knows enough to be concerned about someone watching him and how they might react. Yeah, and something as benign as just saying, ah, it's same bullshit from their employer, which everybody says about their employer at some point 100%. or another. And the fact that that could get, and he's careful wasn't a joking careful. Wasn't fun. No. Wasn't fun. Uh -huh. It was very much about, well, you might disappear tomorrow if someone overhears that. Yeah. A third character, this one named Irv, Irv walks yeah. in. That one they tell me early. And says, hi, kids, what's for dinner? There's your joke. Remember the line. Hi, kids, what's for dinner? It's relevant for later. I would find that. I would find an employee that opens with that kind of line annoying pretty quick. Well, so did the second character, whose name we'll get to here in a minute. He, the heavier set black guy, he says, God damn it, Irv, we warned you, Irv. About the greeting? You are kidding. No, we sincerely hate it. How many reasons do we come up with? Mr. Scout says eight. And we see Mr. Scout's computer screen. What originally looked like dots now look like numbers. He's having to connect them. And as he does, they clear to the bottom right of the screen. Okay. I wrote it down. It's Dylan. I wrote down Dylan. Dylan. Got Dylan. That's okay. right. Dylan's the back other dude. The, okay. Back to the conversation. Dylan reaffirms eight. Chief among them, the latent condescension, Mr. Scout says. And it's confusing. <laughs> like, did the kids make you dinner in this scenario or... What kind of a shit dad are you, says Dylan. Back to Mr. Scout's screen. And it appears some numbers are getting larger as he moves them, the mouse across the screen. So it would seem that they, they highlight and are revealed. Yeah. Yeah. When, he, when the mouse touches them, they highlight, they reveal it. And then it, it, it almost looks like a minesweeper, almost. It, it very much seems like this is the kind of mindless team game that you play just to pass the time. A minesweeper or some other kind of reveal freeware game you play online. And then we see some of the numbers that have become large scroll across the top and drop into what looks like maybe a recycling bin in the bottom right. Mm -hmm. Irv then says no Petey, and they discuss that Petey might be sick. But Irv points out that Dylan is about to wrap tub water today. Our other character jumps in. Yeah, and it doesn't see me. And if he doesn't see me finish, I might get passed over for refiner of the quarter and miss out 
on my goddamn waffle party. Let me tell you something, Spencer. I don't mind tipping this, tipping your hat a little bit here about this. Okay, you ready for a little spoiler? I'm here for it. Dylan wants his fucking waffle party. Okay. Uh, if a waffle party is an option, I'm fighting for that waffle party. I Dylan want them wants waffles. His fucking waffle party. This is very serious. Spencer also wants his waffle party for Mangum Talks Employee of the Week. Dude, would you not? If there's the potential of a waffle party, you're not fighting you, for that waffle party. You know how I am with diets in and out, man. I, I, you know, some days I'm. It, some days I want four waffle parties, and some days I don't want to sniff it. We're not talking about you. We're talking about any Lee. I, not I don't any know. Lee want the waffle party. Any 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 Lee might be disturbed that like one one day I'm a, I, I, <laughs> the I weight gained, shifts I over a little, time. Uh, yeah, my weight goes up and down. So I don't know how my my any would deal with my weight shifting. I don't know. Uh, Irv then says he poops the perks, saying in mm. the old days he just got a handshake and the creamer refilled. I still don't buy. They incentivized Creamer. <laughs> and then Irv says, uh, they did. And back then we were grateful for it. That's fucked, dude, says Dylan. Irv then says, yeah, it was fucked. To put in an honest day's work and not get a children's breakfast for it in return. It is interesting to ponder how long this has been a thing or whether he's even talking about a pre-severance kind of position. I don't know. More on questions. I don't think it's a pre-severance position because we see with the woman – she would, does not wake up with previous work memories. So it has to be a post-severed memory for Irv. Fair point, yes. So he, anyway, uh, Mark then says Irv's got claws today, and it does seem that Irv has claws. He's telling you, it, you know, he had to walk up uphill both ways to school in the snow, you know, type of thing. Back <laughs> and then the we just real employees had refilled. to do. <laughs> um, I don't know. I Look, this seems like a tough place to work in the sense that there's not a lot of fun going on. Um, so I am a hundred percent behind the waffle party. I am down with the waffle party. Play. I think, I think they are in desperate need of a waffle party. Many different other food groups of parties. So as to really improve the atmosphere right now, but luckily another person is now arriving. So in walks, absolutely our definition of a middle manager, Mr. Milchick. Mr. Milchick is here and he is so happy to see them. He is our middle manager. He says, good morning, macro data refinement. So we know the name of the department these folks work in. Now, have you worked at a job before of where there's a certain expectation that you will stand up when your boss walks into a room? Yeah. Because apparently this is one of those jobs. Yeah, I have. Uh, you don't you, you do not do that with really important people? No. If anything, I lie down on the ground just to really express who's in charge here. Look at you. Man, you would be the Mr. Milchek of this group then. They have to stand <laughs> up for you. Irv stands to greet Mr. Milchik. Great point by Spencer. While the other two just poke around their cubicle. Mr. Milchik wants to talk to Mark. It was clearly Mr. Scout. So now we know his full name, Mark Scout. So Mark gets up to talk to Mr. Milchik and they walk down a long series of halls. Again, they take their time with the hallway walking. So many hallways. And then we get the severance theme music playing. So the music that is playing while Mr. Milchik and Mark are walking is the in, it's the in show severance theme. It is the, it's the, it's what you're going to get. I'm going to call it the Jeopardy music. When the Jeopardy <laughs> gotcha. music hits, you know you're supposed to be thinking, right? Mm -hmm. When the Severance theme music hits, you should be thinking. That's what I'm going to say. So you need to be thinking. This is your audio trigger to pay attention? Thinking, thinking, thinking. Mr. Milchick points out the last time Mark saw Mrs. Coble. Another no, person writing down the various bosses. And I actually think it's Miss Coble. I think it's Mrs. Coble. So Mark saw Miss Coble. She was in her old office. Now she's in her new office. It's a completely different office. Mark asks what this is all about because as you can imagine, not as you can imagine, as you can see, 
everything in this fucking work atmosphere is very specifically placed and done. Controlled. When something something as big as an office change happens, it's probably revolutionary for these innies. It's a big deal. Well, Mrs. Copel apparently has a lot of other offices that she can pick from. Clearly, she needs to explore other offices. This one disappoints her so much. It's horrid, and the old one was better. Well, because what Mr. Milchik says, um, she'd never say so, but I know a compliment about the office would just make her day. So they keep walking. They walk in, and by the way, they're walking into a series of offices that t- are titled administration. So they do. It, yes. it seems like there's like pods of offices in this building, mm-hmm. and the pods are named different things. So she, he's walking into administration now, and Mark compliments the office, but Mrs. Coble off screen still Sh- shuts it down completely. Horrid, and the old one was better. Mark gives her a knowing. Yeah, Mark gives a knowing look to Mr. Milchick. So I don't think this was out of character for Miss Coble. I think the idea that. She wouldn't take a compliment well or that she'd be kind of like rough around the edges. Seems pretty, you know, standard for these well, folks. Mr. Mulchick even expresses it. She would never say so. Her particular temperament is well done. Then we see Miss Coba walk out from behind a wall with a box she's carrying. Oh, you look awful. You look hungover. Very important point. Hold that. That he looks hungover. He is, from what we find out later. He is. And that's that's an interesting thing. When you have your work self that is not connected at all to your at-home self who doesn't even have the same memories, Mark, I, I would imagine the amount of just rampant alcohol abuse would spike because you don't have to – you don't have to deal with the consequences. There's no obligations. Yeah. There's there's, no, there's nothing atta- – there's no one that, that you don't you have to deal with your hangover. Run, yeah, and there's no one you'd ever run into that would ever comment on it. Yeah, you you don't have to deal with your hangover, like you you your any deals with it. And I imagine Mark's innies like pumping water all day and doesn't know why he's always thirsty. <laughs> like, and then Mark gets home and he can just do it all over again. You know, it's it's a pretty irresponsible lifestyle. Um, so she tells him to have a seat. And he does. The board will be joining us remotely today. I have Mark S at my desk, and we see a little intercom receiver on the desk. Again, those things have not existed for like, you know, decades, but here they are. Mark then says, oh, uh, hello. I assume this is about me acting as department chief today. Okay, well, I mean, I've subbed for Petey before, so it shouldn't be that big of a deal. She then drops the bomb that Petey is no longer with this company. Whoa. Which Mark Whoa. Mark spends about the next, well, the, pretty much the rest of this, com- this conversation just processing. This is something that he never even pondered was a possibility, it appears. No, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of turnover here. Um, and I don't know how they would because I, I think that we saw we, what we see through the female character who's new is mm-hmm. that if an any tries to quit, your, your Audi basically has to co-sign that decision because when she tries to leave and her Audi clearly just walks right back in the door, she has no choice but to stay. So it doesn't seem to me that the any is empowered to truly quit this job, which would make turnover, I would think, almost ne- almost never happen. Because there'd be no incentive for your Audi to ever quit a job because they don't know the conditions the innies working under. Well, they all, it's also a situation of where the Audis are told, and the innies certainly believe, that the severance procedure is permanent. Now, we find out later that that apparently is just an inherent falsehood, but that would also drive your sense that there's no way out of this because once this occurs, I'm just this way forever. Right. But 
everyone who has everyone that we know of, which is just Mark at this point. Yes. And and we get we get a little bit of the woman's story. It, enough to corroborate this is that they are choosing to be severed. And they are it choosing certainly appears to be, yes. Choosing to have part of their their brain segmented and to do this job in a severed capacity. And my guess would be that people don't come to that decision without something like what Mark has, without some sort of backstory, some sort of reason why they're doing this, which would again make turnover even more rare, right? Because Mark, let's take Mark as an example. Mark is coming to this. He wants to do this because he wants to get, he's running away from the trauma of his wife. Sure. Right. So he's even more unlikely to stop progress, to quit the job, to not want to do this because he was driven to the severed action by some sort of external force to begin with. I would, I'd posit a guess at this point in the story that other people have similar stories. Otherwise, why would you choose to be in this capacity, right? And all we've seen so far is that people are choosing. We know that Mark chose it and we know that the woman, when she left, her Audi chose to come back multiple times. If that is how it works, yes. I've got questions about that that we'll explore. But it, it certainly That's appears, how it appears to work in episode one. Right. It certainly appears that for Heli, that she seems almost up. This, this is this is the distinction of between, I think, Heli and Mark. Where Heli, when she's going through like that whatever interview that we see her in a minute, she seems upbeat. She seems excited about this. That doesn't necessarily suggest the same mindset as Mark, because Mark does not seem to have that affect at all outside of you know the work kind of setting. I wonder what incentive people are given to take part in this anyway. Maybe it's also just very well compensated to go through this too. Mark says, I'm sorry at the news that PD is no longer with the company. She repeats it. PD is no longer with the company. Then we hear this. I'm sorry, Mark. This is from Mr. Milchik. I'm sorry, Mark. You guys were one of my favorite office friendships. That was a very, a very terrarium kind of style comment here. I actually put in, in my parentheses, strange phrasing, no? That That is a very much, uh, you're all being watched at all times and people are taking notes on you kind of comment. You guys were one of my favorite office friendships. Mark then asked if there should have been some notice of this. He's clearly affected by this news. He then asked what's happened. What happens next? And uh, she says, we'd love to tell you, but unfortunately, non-disclosure policy forbids we'd be aiding an assault on PD's privacy by telling you. That's an interesting way of expressing that point. Mark just looks around. And then she says, Mark, place your key card on my desk. Mark does this. And she says, Mark S., at this time, I confer upon you the freedom to serve Kier. Kier? To serve Kier. In the advanced this is this. I confer upon you the freedom to serve Kier in the advanced role of Macro Data Refinement Department Chief. Congratulations. Capital K in the in, in the subtitles as well. K-I-E-R. Kier. Don't know what that is, and I don't think it's explained later. So he gets a new key card. Promo! He's getting a promo. Mm. Enjoy oh, the perks. Man. And she says a handshake is available upon request. I'm taking that fucking handshake. He looks <laughs> up, says, thank you, may I have a handshake? So she shakes his hand. Would, would you ever turn down a handshake? If that is, yes. is, you would turn down the handshake? I would probably never shake hands again if it wasn't expected of me socially. I think it's an unnecessary uh, transfer of germs. If you're giving me that perk, I'm taking that perk. I don't I, care what it is. I'm taking the per- I'm taking the free perk. You yeah. You know what? You really are like the 
the guy who goes in the hotel room and immediately uses the free slippers and the robe because it's free. I'm, I'm taking the shampoos with me. They're here. I'm t- they, they, they're going. They're returning with me to wherever I'm going. All right. So that mindset that you have, I will take the free perk. Take that with you through the season. I, I'm, I'm figuring I'm excited play about on this. that. She acknowledges he's never run a training before. But she says Irving will be there to help you. So this is this is actually like any other kind of department, right? You have a somebody that they see potential in, Mark, that they're promoting, although he clearly doesn't have as much experience as Irv, who's been there a long time. Any anybody who's ever been promoted to a manager position young, you've had this dynamic. So Mark has this strange thing where he's now Irv's boss, but he's got to rely on Irv to help him do certain things. It's interesting, too, that it was immediately assumed by Mark, before he even knew that PD was gone, that, oh, PD's out for the day. I'm stepping in yep. to be the manager. He knew. Not her. That was interesting. That, that that was a clear line of succession previously established. Yeah. She says, just stick to the flow chart and escalate properly, depending on dialectics. You'll uh-huh. be fine. He says that if Mark needs to take a few minutes, Mark then thanks the board. He says he doesn't. He said thanks the board as he's walking out. She says the board won't be contributing to this meeting vocally. Spencer, is the board on the call? I don't think so, no. I, I did not. From what we saw, this is a prop. There is no board there. He walks out the door. Then we see Irvin getting some water. Irvin and Mark are talking about their last refiner, who was a woman, Carol, Dylan's old seat. Irv so says, they have seen turnover. At least, Ir- at least Irv has seen turnover. So what I think that this is establishing is that when you are almost birthed as an any, it is a contiguous memory. They're not resetting the any's memory as they Very do. Very much like, so. The it's innie, a separate life. And that would, that would make sense because as bullshit as this job seems, you do want people to be able to accumulate experience in the job to get better at it, right? Yeah. You, like you don't, you don't want to, re- if you, you reset them, if you reset people's fucking memory every day, they would never be experienced in a role and be more effective, efficient at their job, et cetera. You would be able to complete multi-day projects. I mean, he's, he's finishing this uh, multi-day project that he needs PD there to, you know, cap, put the capstone on. That'd be impossible. If you had to relearn every day to, to start fresh. I think these little conversations in episode one are giving us a baseline of understanding about the severance procedure, right? Yes. That they, they do remember their, their work life day over day. It's a contiguous memory that was started at some point when the severance procedure happens and they started work at Lumen Industries. So the the world they inhabit and their experience of it continues here on after. Irv says Mark doesn't need to be sad, but Mark brushes it off. Irv says he knows Mark and Petey were close. He was the one who really, he was the one who really appreciated your humor. The only one. It's like, that, that is a very, well, thank you. Also, fuck you. Kind of comment right there. Yeah, I will say this. I appreciate Mark's humor. I, th- I find this character to be very funny through the episode. He's especially funny with his, when he's with his sister, but he says a couple funny things here in the office as well. I think he's funny. Agreed. Mark says everything is fine, but he questions why he should just be starting with the input survey. Isn't that a little weird? Mr. Milchick says it's standard. Just start at 1A and continue by line based on her answers. He's setting up another monitor, Mr. Milchik is. Mark floats the idea of just talking to her, but Milchik says she deserves to have the information presented to her in the proper order, just as you had. So this is now, this is now being presented as you are doing her a favor in how you're onboarding her. 
there's also an element of ritual associated with this. Whether it is logical or not, it is the way things are done. And I'll tell you this, as somebody, like I said at the beginning of the the podcast, I, I tend to operate in systems. I would assume that however we're onboarding her would be, it would, each individual step would be important because of the precarious nature that people start the job, right? Because this is an extremely Fair. precarious position you start this job at. You are just On the precipice. Yeah, you're basically just reborn. You don't have any any understanding of what's going on. And you have to not only pick up where you're at, what you're doing, that you have a job, you also have to pick up this dynamic that when you leave at the end of the day, you're not going to remember those memories and you're just going to basically wake back up ready to start a new day of work, refreshed, re-energized, re-caloried, all that stuff. So it's a pretty precarious position people start in. I would just assume that this is like scientifically based or it's really important that I follow mm. these procedures in some particular way. That would be my assumption. Well, it certainly seems that Mark assumes that because he assumed he comments later that the reason that she was so disturbed is because he messed up in terms of going through the steps. So he's built in his own mind that the steps are an essential part of people getting adjusted to otherwise would be an incredibly <laughs> whiplash of a setting that they're now in. Irving? It's, also it's also interesting. Also, just comment on this. Go ahead. M- Milchek's role is multifaceted. Mil- Mr. Milchek is both serving, as you said, as kind of like a middle manager. He's also doing all the tech, which is an interesting yep. kind of tie in there too. Yeah, he is. I think that the the folks who were at the Macro Data Refinement Center do that job and that job only. There is yes. nothing else. And Mr. Um, Milchick does all the other things. He's that more make of an their office manager. He's kind of like an office manager. Like you yes, know, he's like uh, he's like Pam and Michael from the office. Put them into one. The universe exploded with that combination, but sure, yeah. Irving throws the water cup in a bin that says Lumen Recycles. So, Spencer, for the rest of this podcast, I don't want you ever, ever to insinuate that Lumen doesn't have corporate responsibility, that they're not a responsible corporate entity. They recycle. Do you want to bet money on whether that thing actually goes in anything other than the main waste stream? Lumen Recycles. Didn't you see? It's probably a I whole saw thing. the sign. My level of trust is not rising. Interesting. Mark is reading from a book. If the trainee becomes agitated and demands to leave, skip to page 19. He's reading from a page in a binder entitled Input Survey. She has to ask three times for you to let her, Irvin says. So there's a rule. If if any wants to leave, they have to ask three times before you let her go. But they don't actually leave, or at least they don't leave for long. No, nope. they're allowed to go through the process of, ex- of of finding out that leaving is futile. I will tell you what I assumed in episode one, and I th- I think this is a safe assumption for anybody watching it, or at least it was for me. I think if you ask, if the any asks three times, you are allowed to leave, and the any does leave, but they don't inform the Audi. Of why the any left. So then you just flip to the other side and your Audi goes, hmm, what the fuck am I doing here? I need to go back to work and just goes back in. There's no communication between your any and your Audi. That's, that's what we see with Heli later. That's why Heli's Audi just keeps coming right back in the, in the office thinking, well, there must be a mistake or something. The only way it could work is if they, if the any had a grievance, I don't like this. This is inhumane. This sucks. Whatever the fuck it is. And they inform the Audi of what that is, but that doesn't seem to be what they do. It also doesn't seem like those grievances ever make it to the Audi anyway, based on what we hear from both P- from PD's description later about both him and Mark's complaints. 
And from what we realize, like when Mark gets an injury, they lie to Mark they about cover it. They yeah. lie to Mark about what happened, but there is an expectation that he would that the Audi be, be told what happened to his body, right? A falsehood, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, but but that's my point is that like no, there's zero communication from the Indy to the Audi to the point that even if the Indy gets hurt, the Indy is not allowed to explain to the Audi what happened. That all goes through through Lumen. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, something. Mark is making notes. They look up and they see the image of a woman who he. We started with at the beginning of the episode, who's lying on the conference table. Mr. Milchick tells Mark he's all set. I just love seeing you all come in like this. Go on ahead when you're ready. Again, this guy is looking at this like a scientist. He's looking at this like some kind of researcher that has his favorite trained animals in terms of his rat maze. You think so? That is very much my theory I'm building out of this, that none of this is... This is really happening, but to the degree to which this is quote-unquote real, I have doubts. So what you mean by that is that this isn't a real job. I think this is my theory, and we'll talk about this more later, is that this is a trial run. of This is an experiment that is testing out something to eventually expand to a broader field. They are the test group to see whether this works to then maybe expand it off to an industry-wide kind of thing. So what with they're that theory- doing is just purely an experiment. With that theory, wouldn't the fact that the newly severed person be in the center of the conference room table where work is done, wouldn't that jive, right? It would fit very that's much. That's the yes. work, right? That That's kind of what I was getting at is that they're, like they're that's streamlining the, this straight to it. That's the image that I thought of is that like, oh, the severed person on the table is the work. Mm-hmm. Like that's the work that's being done here. I don't, now, I don't I know that. Point. Yes. I don't know that, but that's the image that I took from it. So they flipped to input survey question Q dash zero zero one. Who are you? Standard trainee response unknown. Was the late, standard response late, giving Y N? Late man, man forgot the prologue. Just skipped right over the prologue. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. So, Low marks in his annual review. It's his first day. So then we ask him. He asks, we see him ask the questions. Who are you? She's still asleep on the table. He asks again and then she starts to move. Mark, you skip the preamble. So Mark apparently forgot a certain thing. Spencer's upset with him. Irv is, Irv is disappointed. Not upset. Mm-hmm. I would say he's disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. You let down. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, then Mark says, um, I, I, I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. And we actually heard this, right? We, this, mm-hmm. we heard this at the start. So now we're connecting the different two perspective, different perspective. We heard Mark say, I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. It was complete nonsense from the perspective of Heli. But now from Mark's perspective, you know why he said that. Mm-hmm. Hi there. You on the table. I wonder if you'd mind taking a brief survey. She asked who it is. Five questions. I just bet it'll make you feel right as rain. She's asking him who's speaking. Mark is furiously searching the manual. Irv is watching. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Then we see that the door <laughs> she was trying to open actually does open to the room Irv and Mark are in. Straight to them. Yeah. Straight to them. I wasn't expecting that. You would hope that the tech would have a wire long enough to, to situate them in a room maybe down a hallway, not right next to. 1980s technology, that kind of, that, that, that kind of wire costs money, man. Irv is clearly uncomfortable by her trying to get into the room. I am too. Mark continues. Shall we continue? Shall we begin with question one? We see her running around trying to open the door again. She's not supposed to do that, Irv said. She's going to break in. Then we see Mr. Milchik and Miss Coble. Mr. Milchik asks her if she's seen this. She says, I'm watching. Tense music playing now. Mr. Milchik asks if he should help. She says, Spencer, you should not. Interesting. Mr. Miltrick seems 
legitimately caught off guard about this too, which is notable. Because presumably they in particular, because I'm assuming neither of them are severed, more on that later, have seen this all kinds of sort of times. But this seems off. This reaction where she is violently trying to break into the door is not something that many innies do on their first moment, I don't believe. And mm-hmm. that tells you a little something about Heli, I think. It tells you about her personality. Just a bit. So Mark says that's a perfect score. So Heli got a perfect score. Unknown, unknown, Delaware, unknown, unknown. Perfect score. Delaware apparently gets more points than other states. That's never been true. Now I th- never, ever, I, I, except in tax law. Now I think we're <laughs> tax and corporate law and succeeds there in no other relevant field. Now I think, uh, we know where a disconnect is coming from. He says he should just have read the preamble before the survey, but I unfortunately skipped that and went straight into the survey. She asked if she's livestock. What a question. Am I livestock? My mind right wouldn't, have, my mind wouldn't have gone there first in terms of interpreting these events. She's cutting right to it. She wants to know if they grew her and that's why she has no memory. He says, you think we create a full human gave you consciousness? Did you give you nails? And I don't know. I don't know. She then asked her name and Be a he hell says, of an investment. This is true. He says, it's Heli. Heli R. Mark asked her to sit down across from him in the conference room. Mark flips to a different page and he starts. So, you know, it's interesting to me that like she has this violent reaction that clearly is non-standard to the point that Mr. Melchick is even asking Miss Coble if he should interject, which doesn't seem like a type of thing that happens very often. Mm-hmm. And Mark sees this and is still willing to put himself in close physical proximity to her. Now that doesn't pay off, which clocks him in the head with the, the damn conference thing here in a moment. But I think it's telling of both Heli's personality that she has this reaction and Mark that not only is he not scared, he opens the door and goes in there with her. Well, Mark describes later that he also, that he threatened to hurt the voice, that he threatened to ki- find and kill the voice. So there was a certain element of violence that, uh, violence at least in words that is expected out of this. It seems like it's the physical response from Heli that's crossing the lines. Now I'm ready for, are you ready for a banger of a joke? Go on. Alright, sit back. Thank you for taking the welcome survey. I can sense the questions made you feel afraid or disoriented. Well, good news is you're at orientation. <laughs> Killing it. I was physically hurt by that. We Killing had to pause it. and pace the room from ah. that kind of line. I was giving Mark a round of applause. Shout out, Mark. Nothing from Heli. You see, you've been hired to a position on the severed floor of Lumen Industries. The what floor? He looks back and forth through the manual and then says this. I understand you're confused about the severance procedure. Before we hop on that, let's chat about something I bet you have heard of. The work-life balance. Now, Spencer... I know you've never heard of this, but what this is, is where people actually attempt to not let work overtake their personal life. And it's like a real effort on their part to maintain a separate personal life from their work. It doesn't all just bleed together and be work like all the, like all the time, like you, like it's, 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 it's a, it's a balance. It's separate. So I know it's kind of a new concept for you. Go a little bit slower. Are you saying that the two hours of work I've got to do after this podcast that, that that that's part of that balance, right? No, most people would stop working at like five or six, and they wouldn't work again the rest of the night. But, but what else do you do at eleven o'clock at night? That's the life part of the work life balance. You see, I, I don't understand. So to start, imagine yourself as a seesaw. 
<laughs> Spencer, imagine yourself as a seesaw. As she stands not, up, not grabs helping. the speaker. Just shucks it right into it his Mark, head. Hitting him in the face as she storms to the floor. Now, I will say this. If I'm Mr. Milchick, I would be very careful, concerned, worried about any sort of physical injury that occurs in the workplace. Because that is a, that's a hard thing to deal with later. Hard thing to cover. Yeah. He yells, you, you can you can just put a band-aid on it, but it's not actually covering the issue. He yells, but well, but I, I think that the whatever is happening, they I think I'm assuming that Milchik and Miss Koba want these people to continue working there as severed people. I'm yes. assuming that, right? The only thing I can think of that would incentivize the Audi to change this arrangement would be if they think that the innie's being mistreated somehow. So if they consistently come out of work with like bruises, bumps, cuts, whatever, that's the only thing I can think of that would make them start asking questions, right? Don't worry. There's a coupon for Pips in it for you. Well, Pips does fucking rule. We did see that. Uh, apparently so much so that you can be the only person in the restaurant at peak hours. She screams that she wants to be let out. Can we just take a beat, please? He sits back down, please. She sits down this time much closer to him. I would like to point out mm-hmm. when he says, please, when he, when he, when he, he ditches the book, humanity. exactly. When he stops the corporate speak, when he ditches the book and he's not reading from lines anymore and he talks to her as Mark, that's when she sits closer to him and they seem to bond a little bit, which is so effective and also obvious. It emphasizes, emphasizes again to me, the book is not designed to make people comfortable because this is otherwise the way you'd go about doing this. The book is meant to be wrote on purpose. She sits down. Mark looks at the manual again and says, okay, my name is Mark. And uh, so I, uh, a few years back, I woke up on this table in this room and I, a disembodied voice asked me 19 times who I was. And when I realized I couldn't answer, I told that voice that I would find him and kill him. Mark laughs. I don't know why I said that. I was scared too. She asked him if he did, in fact, kill the voice. He said, no, the voice was Petey and Petey became his best friend. I'd like to point out, from Mark's own lips, he says Petey was his best friend. Mm-hmm. She's not charmed. So, look, you know, there is a life to be had here, Helly. How about that? Did, did you get that same? I bet you probably heard that at your firm. Like, they set you down and they said, look, you're going to work 40 hours a day, but there's mm-hmm. a life to be had here. And my response was about the same as Helly's, but... Repeat what you just said and think about it for a second. I think that's such a tough line, right? I just think, yeah. I, God knows it's so cringy. Like, if this show didn't just shine this massive light that such a statement is absurd, I might have said that in the workplace one day, but I will never say it again. I guarantee that. <laughs> There's a life to be had here. The show did a heli on this line. She clarifies life to be had. He looks at her and then back to the notebook. You see, life, like a seesaw, she tries to grab the book. He won't. Let her take it. She says, let me the fuck out of here. And Mark looks at the camera in the corner of the room. I don't know if you caught that. Which is at least the fourth time that she said this since she woke up on the table. Keep track of that because he says this is only the second time. So I'm wondering how they make the divisions on that. I think that he's, I think Mark is imperfect, an imperfect narrator. I don't, I don't think he's, sure. I, I think he's missing. I think he's struggling and he's not hearing her. He's playing catch up. I don't think he's trying to miscount. Because he we, he basically feeds her a line to say it again later. Yes, like I think he's fine. I think he's fine taking her to the to the exit and letting her you know walk out. I think he just mis, is miscounting himself. That's how I took that. 
Mm-hmm. Mark looks at the camera in the corner of the room. Miss Coble is watching. Mark tells her again, ask again, Sam. ask again. And you know, all I could think of is fucking say what? Say what one more time? Say what one more goddamn time? Seems like that seems the exact opposite of his intent here. Say what, motherfucker? Uh, Little Sam Jackson. That's just pulp, show, pulp that's fiction. This show, that's what this show needs in season two. We, we we need this go to straight pulp fiction for season two. Sam Jackson wakes up on the table. Ooh, <laughs> hey, that, I have a series of questions for you. <laughs> that man's breaking out of that room. Five five questions. It's a survey. Um, she says, Mark, I would like to leave the building now. Mark starts to read from the manual. I understand you think it's not working out for you here at Lumen. While disappointed, I'd hate to keep you somewhere. You're not happy. Think about that line. While disappointed, I'd hate to keep you somewhere. You're not happy. Mm-hmm. The gall of Lumen Industries to put that in writing. They care. Sir. The fucking care. gall of this company to write Trust that down. Trust your corporate overlords. I literally have segmented your brain so that you can't remember what happens here. So that we can fucking work you into the ground. I'd hate to keep you somewhere you're not. Again, this is all theater because she's going to come straight back. Well, (laughs) did they know that? I I don't know. I don't know that they know that she's coming back. I think they know that. I think they very much. I think it's the reason Mark waits. She knows knows, he's seen it before in terms of what's about. Well, yeah, because like the Audi has no idea why she's leaving. So why wouldn't the Audi just come back? I don't know whether it's an Audi decision, but we'll, we'll talk, we'll, we'll unpack more of that as we see more. Oh, interesting. So let's get you out of here. He goes to the door, knocks on it, asks her to open the door. Then we see Mark walking heavily through the hallways, more shots of the hallways walking. He walks her through a room with a pair of desks. He explains that the departments are all pretty spaced out, but it'll all fill in one day. Huh. Hand, hand, nudge, nudge, return to that. They're planning an expansion. She asks oh, if yeah. she's part of that. He says, no, you're a replacement. She asks who it's a replacement for, and Mark won't answer. Why are you saying that like you hate it? She said, why are you saying that like you hate it? Well, because she's replacing Petey, Petey. his friend, his best friend. Right. They keep walking. Here's your stairwell. Just past the bench. She asks if he's coming with her. He says, he's not allowed to. I'm not allowed he's, to. He says, I'm not allowed to watch you leave. Interesting. Interesting. So he stands by the wall. There's again. This seems like it factors into that that purposeful isolation, that purposeful you know maintaining the separation of the spheres. No Venn diagram here that he can't even really entertain visually the possibility of there being an exit. She says, "Of course you can't." And she goes to the stairwell. More theme music. She looks back. Theme music, Spencer. Theme music. This might be a segment. You know, I'm in training this week. Mm -hmm. Lumen Industries has me in training this week. Oh, and the, fun, and yes. the, and the Lumen trainer, our own Mr. Milchick keeps saying, um, remember this slide because this will be on the test. It's really, really brazen how he just tells us. What? Um, that's what I feel like I'm doing with the, with the music. Remember, what? remember this moment. This will be on the, on the Lumen Industries test at the end of the podcast. What? For Helly, there is no transition. There is no moment of being out. There is the moment that she opens the door, she is back in again from the perspective of any Helly. Yeah, I think that she remembers the footstep to the threshold, and then she remembers the footstep back in. That 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 is the totality of the transition. Is she never remembers a moment of being out? We get a POV. She, she opens the door. not even remembers. Remembers is the wrong word. She doesn't experience a moment of being out. Walks through and says, "What the hell?" She sees the door again. 
Notice when she walks through, her Audi says, what the hell? If that's her Audi, I mean, you you seem to have all kinds of theories here. But let's assume it's the Audi. I think that's what they want you on the very a very surface level read of this to think. She says, what the hell? Turns around and walks back inside. So she does this multiple times. And then finally, Heli walks back over to Mark and says, am I dead? <laughs> well, she straight up sprints one time. And it's interesting, too. She seems like she just collapses like a big bag of potatoes. The moment she goes through the door, she's just yeah. down. Because her body doesn't remember why she's sprinting, so she stops. Or she straight up turns off because there isn't a life there, and she just kind of automatically resets and comes in. I'm not sure the level of an Audi involvement in any of this. I need you to I start. Know. I need you to start speaking with a little bit of. I need. I need some concrete theories. I don't need. I don't need you saying. I think. I think. I think. What? Give me a theory, Spencer. I don't think. The Put Audi- it on the line. Okay. I you, you keep referring to the Audi making a decision to come back in because yeah. they're confused. That I don't think I'm that's doing. part of it. I think this okay. is an all an automatic response. The moment she goes through the door, she shuts off because the innies don't get to experience anything outside this room, and she automatically, sight unprocessed, on just almost robot mode, turns around and comes back in. So there, process so, the implant. So there's no when she crosses that threshold in that stairwell, she effectively that, ceases to exist until she turns around. Well, yes, that's true. But what is the thing that turns around and comes back? Is that is that out of work, Kelly? Because nope. we know that there's an out of work mark. I, I agree. I don't think that's out of work being turned on then. I think that actually is only done through the process of going through the elevator for how that occurs. I think that is literally just, I have gone outside the scope of the video game. There is nothing here. Just straight shuts down and then by process of subconscious or some coded in response, turns around and comes back to exist again. Okay. Well, let me focus on these, this series of dialogue to, to sort of put some, uh, dressing around your theory here. Sure. Am I dead? No. This is like hell or something? No. He says no. Maybe kind of is. At least purgatory. Then why can't I leave? Mark says you did leave. Into the stairwell at least. You left but you came. You left but you came back. She says I did not. He says you did. Come on. Well, the, he turns around and they walk. The only you he's answering there is the any her. That's the only you he's commenting on. He doesn't have a concept of anything other than that person. So this is Mrs. Coble talking directly to Helly in the <laughs> background. She is so complimentary of her efforts here. It's funny. Mark is getting taped up. Weaponizing office equipment on your first day. You were going to be fun. I wanted to pummel Mark myself, but I am his employer. And he is your department chief. So we're both going to have to be strong. The good news is there's only one part left of your orientation, which Mark can't possibly derail. Because it's a video. Lee, I haven't gotten to see you be a manager of many employees before, but I like to believe you've had this conversation with somebody before. But, yeah, I know you want to kill this person just, like, violently. I've even bought a gun for that exact purpose. But we know we can't do that, right? I'll tell you what I don't do as a manager is take that tone of voice with anyone. (laughs) Good call. Good call. It's, she's so condescending. Miss Coble is not a good manager. She's so fucking condescending to these people. She does not talk to she. It, it almost like if you want to buy into the theory that maybe like Miss Coble, Mister Milchick, like all of this are they're just watching the experiment, that, which are that the is people, my belief. Yes. Then her tone of voice buys it. Pay, pay, plays into that, right? Because she kind of talks to them like they're. Lab animals. Either kids or, yeah, lab animals is a really good, what? yeah, like, like less than, definitely, and, and not, not definitely just, less than. And not even normal lab animals, 
Mark is her least favorite gerbil. She pulls out a CD, slides it across the desk, and says, Welcome to Lumen, Helly. Helly walks by Mark with Mr. Milchick. Miss Goble asks Mark to have a seat. He does, and there's an awkward silence. He asks her if she's mad at him. <coughs> For the incompetence or the disobedience. You know, my mother was an atheist. She used to say there was good news and bad news about hell. The good news is hell is just the product of a morbid human imagination. The bad news is whatever humans can imagine, they can usually create. This is one of my first two moments to indicate that she's not severed. Because she's talking about something her mom told her. And that didn't seem possible for Helly. Possibly. Mark, like myself, doesn't quite know what the bad news is that whatever humans can imagine they can create really means. I think the surface level read of that is she is acknowledging that they're putting the innies through some bit of hell here. But I don't I don't know. Well, it seems to be there is no supernatural, but it doesn't matter because we can. We can make hell on cap- Earth. Yeah, humanity is capable of inventing its own hell in a heartbeat. That's the good news about hell, Spencer. Is that it doesn't, it doesn't exist, but we can give you a little taste of it here on Earth. I don't appreciate your good news, sir. That, I'm not reassured by this. A department like yours can go so good or so bad. You know what makes the difference? The people. Mister Milchick plugs in a monitor, puts in the CD. She sits down to watch it, and it says. Lumen. And then we see an image of Helly sitting down in a chair. She says she's Helly R. I'm making this video roughly two hours before it will be shown to me. I have, of my own free accordance, elected to undergo the procedure colloquially known as severance. I give consent for my perpetual chronologies to be surgically split, separating my memories between my work life and my personal life. I acknowledge that henceforth my access to my memories will be spatially dictated. I will be unable to access outside recollections whilst on Lumen's severed basement floor. Interesting there. Whilst on Lumen's severed basement floor. Mm-hmm. Nor retain work memories upon my ascent. I am aware that this alteration is comprehensive and irreversible. I make these statements freely. So we hear a voice saying that's a wrap. Mr. Milchick turns it off and says, okay, go ahead. She gets up out of her chair and walks over to the cubicles. We know later, or at least we hear from Petey later, possibly not a reliable source himself, Significant portion of what she says is not true, or at least we have reasons to doubt it. How? Dr- driven heavily by the fact that this, con- this, what is occurring to her, this severed procedure, is irreversible. That, at least what we see from Petey, is a f- straight up lie. She says, so I'll never leave here. Mark says, oh, you'll leave at five. They stagger the exits. Interesting point. So 5.15. She looks around, gobsmacked. She sits at her desk, gets mean mugged by Dylan. I love that Dylan, look, first of all, these, we saw, we saw Petey. We've seen Irv. We've seen Dylan. We've seen Mark. Mm-hmm. Four guys. Constantly four guys. Every day, over and over again, in perpetuity, no break, no sleep, no nothing. Four guys. Breaking up the boys club. Then this lady walks in. I don't know how they didn't just hit the roof. I don't know how they didn't have to have security guards around her. <laughs> and the exact opposite happens. Instead, Dylan mean mugs her. Yeah. And looks at her like she's a fucking asshole. Uh, and I'm like, a- Dylan, are you crazy? This is the one woman that this version of you has ever seen in your life. I would be out of my mind. I'll be honest. Dylan kind of seems like a bit of an asshole from what my initial read of this. Hey, 
Come on. Dylan is to... kind of a dick to every person that we've That's met so far. no way to talk about your coworkers. I, he's not my coworker. I'm being the Mr. Milchick watching my people, and he is not Lumen my Industries. favorite gerbil. I welcomed you to Lumen Industries. You're, you're here. I have five questions for you. And then Irv is just creepily looking at her and says, hello. She it, looks at him and she seems stressed. Uh, it's so, interesting. I'm presuming the staggering that, that their exits is also tied into I can't watch you leave. I so Those I'll tell you what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I thought it was you didn't want severed employees um, talking to non-severed employees because there is peaked public interest about the severance procedure that we saw at the dinner party. Hundred percent agree on that element of staggering, but the fact that they individually they can only individually leave their own floor seems to tie into what we heard Mark said previously about I can't watch you leave that they. Otherwise, they all could just leave as a group once everybody else in the building is left. Unless they just don't want them to all – they don't want folks who talk, who, who interact as innies, to have any clue when they're outside as okay. to who their coworkers who are. Who they're close to, coworkers. I, I, I think that very much – I think it's, it's, it's quite accurate. See, Mark uses new key card to get into the elevator. As he does, we see him close his eyes, an odd sound goes over him, and then he walks out past the security guard. So whoop, 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 it happened again. And again, physical transformation associated with him going up the elevator. Not sure how they're doing it, but it's well done. I know. He looks chipper, happy, good, no circles under his eyes when he's in Lumen. And when he gets out, he looks drunk, haggard, beat down, sad, depressed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Judd, meanwhile, sees this every day and has no response to it all other than to wish him a good night. Yeah, let me see him get to his car. He's got a note there. Dear Mark, whilst carrying boxes in a room today, you slipped on an overhead projector slide. What? You slipped on an overhead projector slide. When has that ever happened? When was the last what? time you saw just an overhead projector? And like that That's kind of the style? worst excuse I've ever heard. Uh, overhead projector slide? I, I think I, 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 this is competing with swamp gas from Venus being the UFO you saw kind of thing. Not a convincing explanation. I would call bullshit right away. Mark chooses not to question it at any point. Well, he does get a gift card to Pip's Bar and Grill. He checks his temple and he does, in fact, see a Band-Aid. I think this is the first time he realizes he has a Band-Aid on him. Mm -hmm. He drives off. He almost hits Heli. She says, sorry, but she he says, sorry, but she suggests maybe he keep his eyes on the on the icy road. So we get a lot of evidence that Heli who Heli is, and now there's two versions of her, but it still comes from the same core. We'll tell you to fuck yourself pretty quick. Don't take no shit. Yeah, she'll tell you, she'll tell you to fuck right off. So as he leaves, cars are gone. All the cars are gone. Then we see a shot of the Lumen office park. And it seems like Lumen has its own water tower. Did you catch that? This is a Lumen town. This is a company town. These are company homes. This is a company restaurant. Lumen owns every aspect you think so? of where Mark spends his time. Yeah, hundred percent. You think you think Lumen owns the house that he? So do you, the, the 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 houses the the townhomes that he's in? You think that's part of the deal? Like if you sign yeah. up for, I'm going to be, I'm going to work at Lumen. I'm going to get the severance procedure. They say, okay, great. Well, let me uh, we'll give you a house. I don't think any aspect of Mark's life, other than the brief time he spends with his sister, is anything other than being managed and catered by Lumen. We see Mark driving home. Mark gets home. Mark walks into his townhome, goes to the fridge, or maybe Lumen's townhome. I don't know. Spencer's right. Goes into the fridge, grabs a beer. He sits down, watches TV as he drinks beer. Dimly lit house. He's alone. I'll tell you this. Um, the I get off work. All the lights are off in the house. 
sitting in this chair watching TV and drinking myself stupid is uh, I'm going to say not healthy drinking. I don't think any – this is, again, the, just se- the severance, medical opinion there. severance procedure is nightmarish. I would never even approach it myself. It seems directly what? Ca- counterproductive to anything he actually wants to, you know. You couldn't do it. You wouldn't have an Audi. <laughs> yeah, the any me just lives there twenty four seven. This is true. It would, it would backfire on them if they severed you because you work twenty four hours a day. So it would just no, no. All you don't understand. You have to leave at five fifteen. It's like no, I don't. I'm here now. Work needs to be done. The numbers would, must move. You would you would go all the way around the circle to the to making the the procedure completely irrelevant. <laughs> this is great. I can work forever, <laughs> and I get a free townhome. But no, nothing. We everything we see of Mark's life outside of the severance procedure is depressing. It is dark. It is painful. It is unhealthy in all ways we can observe. Yeah, I mean, he's. he's I think they but, want you. I mean, I think they want you to think he's drinking alcoholically. They want you to. That's what they want you to think. I, I don't think we see any moment of where he isn't at least a little buzzed. Yeah. So um, he takes trash out, and then he calls Mrs. Selvig mm-hmm. because what, her trash. I wonder who that could be. Did you know right away? No. I, oh, okay. Because I, 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 this, this reveal fucked with me. The moment her voice occurred, it, 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 I, I didn't even—I didn't need a face reveal from that point. But up until that moment, didn't occur to me as a possibility. If the, that reveal did fuck with me a little bit, I, I didn't see it coming, and it surprised me. Um, anyway, Miss Selvig, because her trash was in his space. Apparently, recycling is today not trash. Hey, question for you: Do you have curbside recycling at your place? I do. I do too. I love it. Is it? Um, do you have recycling on different days as the trash? I do, and we have a chart written on the fridge because I am helpless to remember those days. I don't. I just. I just don't believe that. I just think you don't want to. Yeah, whether we can say it's intentional or not, the knowledge has not preserved itself in my brain. So he runs out of beer and he switches to wine, which is a that's a that's a problem drinking mode right there. That's bad because you know the you typically. And you, all good college students learn this day one on campus. You want to start with the most concentrated alcohol and, and move to the least D- concentrated alcohol. Down. He's dialing up. He's going from beer to wine. This is a man who's searching for oblivion. He's not searching for a different way to spend the evening. He's searching for a way to end it. Yeah. I think his job is oblivion. Then he gets a knock at the door. It's a woman who says, did you forget? Oh, yeah, shit. She says, it's okay, but tells him to put on pants. Takes him to the car. Um, if there's no dinner, how is it dinner? Say, say hi to my favorite character, by the way. I love Bark's sister. She's great. She is pretty great. She's, uh, you know, you know what Jamie, Car- Jamie Tart would call her? <clears throat> what would Jamie Tart call her? Pretty fit. Pretty, pretty fit. fit. Pretty fit. Yeah. Then mentions that, um, he, uh, then mentions that he owns him, uh, because when they were kids, she was a way better sibling than him. Can we just sit, we're going to see it live here in a second, but can we just have preserved on the record for all time? A dinnerless dinner is a nightmarish invention that should not exist or even be pondered by anyone who actually wants to claim any aspect of humanity. Just putting that out there right now. I've got a theory about Mark's sister's husband. Is he real or is he a lizard person trying to fake being a human? Because I'm I've not convinced. A, I've got a theory about what they're trying to say about him, but I'm not going to de- debut it here. That's called a tease in the business. Yeah. Um, so she says they are nearing the anniversary mm. and thought maybe he wouldn't want to be around people. He just says, nope. I, I, I assumed this was a dead wife. This had the hallmarks. This had the tropes of that kind of anniversary. It's what I was 
My mind went there pretty quickly. Losing a wife at Mark's age would have to be unbelievably devastating. I don't, R- I don't know. Rending. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, unbelievable. We, we've both been with our partners for many a year now. Unbelievable. Don't want to imagine a world without him. Uh, probably would go for the severance procedure. That, that, uh, that, that'd be your method of coping. <laughs> Uh, whatever's available. Uh, she asked him about the boo-boo. He says it's from work. They apologized. They apologized. Thank gosh. She's making fun of it. She asked if they tacked an explanation onto that or not. He says he got a gift card. She mocks that. Then they arrive at the house. We see a guy named Rick. He says, Rick on. The fact her mind immediately goes to, did they tack an explanation on implies to me this isn't the first time. Well, it doesn't believe him. And this isn't the first time. Yes. I, I think that. Well, let's let's just go through this because yeah, I yeah, think yeah. there's a lot to lot to unpack here. So the sister calls this guy baby. So this guy Rickon husband is the husband. So sitting around a table with maybe six people, one guy says, "What a lot of people overlook, I think, is that food that life is not food." I disagree. I, I fucking disagree. This is the moment of where Sir, I'm walking. I'm walking away from the table. It's like these aren't my people. There's no, nothing not I can food. say to these people. What are you talking about? Like food is one of the great joys of life. Shut Absolutely. He says life is a complex quality of sentience and food is calories. It's not the same thing. Mark's sister mentions that her dad used to have whiskey as life carved on flask. That gets a laugh. He did. He was a misdiagnosed alcoholic. <laughs> Notice the camera pans to Mark when that is said. I don't know if you know that. Notice yeah, that. it did. When the, yep. when, the, when the phrase misdiagnosed alcoholic pans right to Mark. Someone then asked Mark, as he is a former history professor, what he thinks of all this for your take on all this, the food v life of it. He says he's not sure. He mostly taught World War One. Specialist. <laughs> specialist. That, the guy. That, that does imply a certain degree of college professor kind of thing that he could focus on just a single topic. Like I think that. it's definitely a college professor. I think. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the guy talking says that uh, he even. Uh, yeah. Even your bougie little high school probably didn't have specific World War One history classes, did they? Well, we, we had 35 professors in a day, so there was an element of specializing, I must say. <laughs> then the guy talking says that he read a book about an article. He read an article about the comparative level of violence in war. And in it, the guy said that people actually called it the Great War. Apparently, it would have been a faux pas to call it World War One. Okay. The, 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 this is just like these Great people, conversation, huh? Well, these people were trying to come across as intellectual, but both my girlfriend and I, Bridget, just turned to each I other at the same theory. time and said, this is page one history. This I is not a deep read. You didn't, the New Yorker is way volumes behind this. I'm not sure what he was reading right now, but this was very base level exposure to any topic. I've what is can, can you tell me your theory? Nope, now? not yet. Mark then says off. no one would have cared called it World War One because World War Two hadn't happened yet. Uh, yeah. yeah, everyone gives that's him a, a polite that's a response. Very old joke. Then the host Rickon says that Mark's late wife, there it is, ding, 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 was a professor as well. Russian literature. Now this professor, he says professor, so it's college, which pops the crowd a little bit, Russian literature. Although Mark's sister gives an interesting look. He then explains it, that Mark is a Lumen man now. Mark says about two years now. Then the questions about Lumen come. I've got every question. You ready? Go on. One, do you design the medicines? No. Yeah, but what a question. That's telling us a little bit about Lumen, what Lumen is. They're very pharmaceutical from what descriptions we get here. I thought Lumen was more on the tech side of things. Mm-hmm. They began in the 1800s, topical solves. They've been involved in pharmaceuticals for a long damn time. For what don't they make? Massive conglomerate. Mark then says he's in the corporate archives division. 
So that's what he's apparently doing. It is. So you know all the, you know all the dirty secrets. Yeah, but you've seen what Mark does. That's corporate archives? That's what they're telling him it is. That's what they told the Audis what he's doing. I don't think he has any clue what he's actually doing. Rickon says that Mark's work is sensitive enough so as to require the severance procedure, which, which everyone is, gets super quiet about. Huh. That, that Which is interesting. That's the byline. That is the marketing point yes. that you have yes. to be severed because there's corporate details that we can't have getting out. I think that's bullshit, but that's... Well, clearly you saw the job. We, we, they, 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 I don't think the show is hiding that it's bullshit because we saw the job. Right. The job is basically do a shitty version of Minesweeper eight hours a day. One could possibly interpret that as some element of hiding evidence, but I don't think it is. Not in any way they would even understand what they're doing, it appears. No, it looks like nonsense to, uh, to us in episode it, one. It looks it like is, nothing. It is moving widgets. Wow, that's something, isn't it? Mark's sister says it's also something that I think is his choice to tell people or not. So here's what we're here's what she's, we're learning. She's castigating her husband a bit there. Yeah, yeah. Here's what we're learning about the severance procedure mm-hmm. is that people who have undergone it are viewed fundamentally different from the rest of society, mm-hmm. and that even bringing it up has such a stigma that Mark's sister thinks that it he should only be the one to tell people. And it has it has that kind of stigma attached to it. And whether you think it's real or not, Rickon at least expresses in this moment profound regrets and asks for forgiveness. I uh, anyway, it I seems know. performative got, as all. I got hell. something to say about Rickon here in a little while. I keep teasing it. I keep teasing it. Rickon's my least favorite off. character on the show, like bar none at this point. Says he doesn't care. Another guest says, "Well, I think it's fascinating. She wishes she could do it. I'd just always be thinking about you know the other one." Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that if, you know, in this world, if you did do the severance procedure and then you chose to talk to non-severed people about it, I do think you'd get these inane comments yes. that don't make any sense when you actually put yourself in the position of having gone through this. Like I would always be, you know, thinking about the other one. No, I don't, I don't think you would. Like that's the whole fucking point. Right. The whole point is to have that level of division. Mark, I don't think Mark thinks about his any at any point. I think Mark's no. only thought about his any in this entire episode was when Petey made him think about it. Uh, or maybe the, the, the boo-boo on his head. I, um, I, it seemed like he was almost pointedly not thinking about that later with his sister. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I thought maybe just initially it might have crossed his mind like a little flash of what happened during the day. But that's that's it. I mean, he clearly doesn't think about what happens inside Lumen when he's outside. And mm-hmm. He clearly does not want to be viewed differently than everyone else because of this this response. He says, well, there is no other one. It's me. I do the job. So he's trying to squash this concept that there are two of him, although there are. He's uncomfortable. And I think he wants to do that because he doesn't want to seem different than the rest of the group, right? Because this this is a commitment to normalize the severance procedure. Well, there is no other one. It's me. I do the job. She says she doesn't understand the visceral element. What does it feel like? The talkative guy says it's simple. The memories are bifurcated. So when you're not at work, you have no recollection of what it is you do there. Did I get that right, Mark? She says you walk in at 9 a.m. and suddenly it's 5 and you're leaving. Mark tries to explain the staggering. <laughs> but this confuses people. They it's, stagger I, you? I love that Mark is like caught up on like, well, no, we don't leave at 5. We leave at 5.15. As if that's the most important part of the story. Like that's, that's the detail he really needs to convey. No, 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 no. They stagger us. I leave at 515. Most no, Mark, important factor. What she's this. thinking that what she's concerned about is that you walk in at nine and whoop up and you turn around and it's five. That's what she's freaking out about. <laughs> Nay, 515. Like mm-hmm. when you're at work, you can't access outside memory. So in effect, that version of you is trapped in there. I mean, I'm not trapped, but, but what? Says Mark. Mark says he's curious. What were you going to say? What were you going to say? 
This sets Mark off. Mark's no longer trying to be polite after that line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trapped. Because he says, you're not trapped, but. And Mark's like, but, but what? What do you mean? And then we get this line. Potential line of the episode. So I suppose we know where you fall on the congressional goings-ons. I don't know what that means, but I'm intrigued. I think I do. It has nothing to do with later episodes. Well, the, 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 there, there have been active, active congressional hearings on the body. Yeah, of the the, uh, not yeah, too surprising. The ethic, yeah, the ethical like viability of it. Like, is this something that should even be doing? Like, I think if a, if a corporation instituted this, I damn hope Congress would pick it up. I <laughs> pray to God they would pick it up and say, "Let's look at this. This is fucking crazy." Rickon says, "Maybe we are missing the point here." The point. Yeah, con- Congress is going to do it all their pages here shortly. <laughs> now, this is your guy Rickon here who says this. My guy. We're breaking Rick and my guy. The point is that Mark made a decision, and that decision was controversial, ethically, socially, morally, scientifically. But I, Mark, I stand behind you without reservation. Look at the virtue signaling from our guy, Rick. At which point are you kicking your partner when they're halfway through that speech? Uh, I, I, she probably has a numb foot. She's got to cut this face. I mean, this guy's cut. Mark says, well, that, thank you. That is very sweet. Rick says, normally he'd say, Dig in, but there's no food there. And he goes on to talk about how the lack of food has already allowed him to go to a much deeper level, which Spencer does not appreciate. I am perfectly capable of having conversation and eating at the same time. Ah, are you? Yeah, yeah. The kind of conversation I want to actually have, sure. With Rick and yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I, I am stuffing my face to cope with that man's company. Cuts to Mark and his sister in the kitchen, and she is asking Mark, if I give you $3,000, will you forgive me? No, <laughs> no, sorry. You know, my sister, and I love you, but I'm not, this is never going to be forgotten. This will be mocked forever. She says, well, because your child is innocent of tonight's atrocities, I'll wait until after it's born to murder you. So now we know she's pregnant. Sends she gives him a sandwich. Mark takes a sip from a flask before he eats. Now that is, I'll tell you. That, that's some alcoholism right there. I've been around some drinkers, uh, but a lot, a lot of, a lot of really heavy drinkers in my lifetime. Uh, and I will say that anybody who can take the shot of whiskey or whatever, the shot of straight liquor and then start eating immediately after that is someone who drinks all through the day. Mm-hmm. That is an all through the day drinker to be able to do that. Normal drinkers would find that repulsive. They take a shot and the last thing they'd want to think about is food for like, I don't know, five, ten minutes, right? No no delay here. It's immediate from shot to sandwich. Yeah. So anyway, she asks him about his therapy and Mark doesn't answer. She goes, you aren't going. Mark says, the work thing has helped. Mm-hmm. She says, well, Mark, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm proud of what? you for taking the job. She the says. Work, the work thing has not helped Audi, not to any degree. Well, she, she, I feel like she's like speaking for you. She says, yes. look, Mark, I'm I'm proud of you for taking the job. She would have been. I just feel like forgetting about her for eight hours a day isn't the same thing as healing. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, me too. She asked him if he wants to crash there. Mark says, no. Your house smells like pregnancy. She says, yeah. <laughs> I'm just not grasping the visceral element of it. So making fun of the, the guest there. She tells yeah. Mark he is definitely staying there that evening. Well, Good to Rickon. Let's discuss the handmade bed sheets and three beds, please. Yeah, Rickon's telling him that he's making he's handmade the sheets for the kids in the pajamas. Oh, loom. We're made on a Baltic hand loom, so you'll sleep well. Mark says he doesn't understand the three beds. Rickon's colleagues told us that switching out the beds as the child grows can wound the child. He throws in irreparable. I- Spencer, when they changed out your bed as a kid, it wounds you. I don't think they ever changed up my bed. I've had the same bed in my room since I was like three. Mm, interesting. 
But if you would provide said bed with all, all, provide said kid with all of its beds at birth, you would allow it to progress across the room at its own rate. So, all right, I'll debut my theory. I, I, I think, a, yeah, go ahead. I think that this show is telling us that the conclusion or the natural extension of certain kinds of liberalism in this country will end up being completely insane and insufferable. <laughs> the, the, That's what I think. They, this, I couldn't interpret this as anything other than mockery. I this could not take world, any aspect of this seriously. This is a world where they are, they are in this fictional world, they are pushing things to its natural conclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, like if corporations truly control everything and like control the person. If corporations control you as a person, what could they do? They're taking it to its natural extension, this idea of the severance procedure, right? I think they are showing us, like, there are certain types of liberals that exist. And I don't think the show is shying away from the fact they're liberals. Uh-huh. The natural extension, the natural evolution of that is this fucking Rick and asshole. Like, it- there is a point that comes with certain liberalism where they just become the type of guy who believes that you need to have three beds because the kid has to progress across the room in order not to be wounded. It is notable to me, and I'm not sure what this says about me, that throughout this entire episode and seeing many just straight up weird things that have no grounding in any aspect of reality I understand, it is this guy and his friends that took me most out of the human experience. These guys were so weird. I was just raising every hackle I had. Him with this discussing the three beds and giving Mark this really unnecessary little hug was just making me want to run out of the room screaming for Mark. I, I love it because I, I love that this is on the Apple plus network because you know, like Apple, Apple's corporation. Do you, do you know what the, the Apple corporate building? No, it's a big, it's a big monster circle. It's this massive circle. It almost looks like its own Pentagon. It's like a circle. So it's, it's not corners on it, but it almost looks like the Pentagon building in the size and, and the fact it's like all circular connection. Would bet all the money I got in my bank account, every dollar of it, that some fucking insufferable liberal asshole in that fucking Apple corporate structure has one point said, you know, you really got to be careful about the beds and the no, kids and the not wounding them. You know, you know, in the fucking yeah. Apple corporate, some insufferable fucking conversations happen oh. among these died in the wood liberals. And that is what this show is making fun what, of. The, what set me off so, so much about this is that I was just wait. I've never heard this in real life, but now I'm just waiting to hear it. I a hundred percent believe one of the writers heard this from somebody or read it in some, you know, child aid book. And that just burned a place in their brain, just waiting to be repeated in this way. And by the way, I don't think that the show is saying like all liberals are bad. Like clearly the, Mark's sister is probably somebody who would classify as a liberal based on her concern for the person. I would say at, right, at, at minimum, but, but she's fucking reasonable. I think they're saying there's a certain brand of it. There's what, a certain type of person that becomes Rick on. Well, this is also the type of liberal that can only function in this kind of hyper liberal circle. Yes. The, the sister, what, what is the sister's actually name? It's, it's her with a D or something like I, I, I don't know her name either. I, I don't, um, she can clearly function in different groups. She can cross over without any particular issue. Meanwhile, Rickon and his friends have no life. It's almost in some ways like a bit of a mock. Maybe it's even like making a certain degree of parallel to the whole severance thing. They don't have a life outside of their own little yes. isolated sever- yes. their isolated little circle. They are, yes, I think that's a wonderful thing to uh, thing to postulate. Right, what they're saying is that like. 
they are looking at the severance procedure as this ultra alien. Oh my God. I can't believe you did that. But it's like, They're you're kind of, you're kind of doing it yourself, yes. dude. You're kind of doing it with your non-dinner dinner party, you fucking asshole. So Mark sits in one of the beds and says, I think people really enjoyed you tonight, Mark. And he gives him a hug. Good. And then he jokes around with his sister. Good night, my Lord. Good night, my lady. I think that's something I've been doing since they were they've kids. Been doing for kids. Yep. Nice little moment. Mark plays, Mark, uh, lays down, tries to sleep, seems to struggle to do so. He gets up in the middle of the night. Mark grabs something from the fridge. I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you go to the fridge, what do you what do you grab? What do you what is Spencer grabbing? Uh, is it always water? I'm always grabbing water, and then if I'm actually hungry, I will make myself a sandwich. That is always the routine. Sandwich in the middle of the night. You do a sandwich in the middle late, of the night. late night sandwich and a glass of ice water. That, 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 that is my, you know, I'm, I'm thirsty and I'm hungry. What am I doing? Okay. This is what, this is what's going to happen next. I do only water in the middle of the night too. And I, I'll say this, like if I'm trying to lose weight, it's fruit in the middle of the night. If I don't care, it's sandwiches. That's, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's what I do. But it's interesting that even, even alcoholic Mark here goes for the water in the middle of the night. He doesn't, he doesn't, there are doesn't, limits. Well, there's many, many alcoholics who would wake up in the middle of the night and just grab a, a drink and go right back to bed, right? But he, he's at least having some water here. So, um, he turns the lights on, uh, goes outside, looks again. It's a person. Spencer, it's a person. There's middle, a, there was a businessman in the yard. Yeah. It's a middle aged, older looking white man, white hair. Uh, car comes by, lights flash, then the guy's gone. Marcus left standing there. Next morning, snow on the ground. Beautiful day. So in this, like, future world, global warming hasn't completely burned up every part of the earth. There's a st- at least a little bit of snow on the ground. That's, well, that's a good sign. Strong suggests – I was interpreting we were in New England somewhere based on, you know, the amount of snow that was on the ground. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, so Mark's sister greets him. He says, there was a businessman in the yard last night. She says, entry level or management? He says, I'm serious. She Fair like that. question. He, she doesn't like that too much. He, uh, he looked at me weird, like he knew me. Oh, did the prowler invading my home make you feel seen? <laughs> See, that joke, make you feel seen, mm-hmm. I feel like is her, as the show, commenting on Rickon, yes. the type of person that the show is making fun of, who exists in the Apple corporate structure, I'm sure of it, which is fucking hilarious that it's on Apple's network. Yeah. You know what, one of the things about Rickon, the fact when he says I made the blankets on a loom, he has to, he has to clarify, and this is so, that category of liberal, I made them on a Baltic hand loom. You've got to assign a certain degree of heritage associated to even the items you're using. I just wouldn't last long with this Rickon character. <laughs> Why is she married to him? She That's seems the question. sane and grounded. Yeah, maybe put that in Spencer's questions. Um, she says, well, there's a bar down the hill. It's probably just a stumbler. Speaking of which, she says she still, he still smells like a distillery. I'm sure he does. He says, uh, I'm sorry. I should have drowned out the memory of my mom and dad switching out my beds when we were kids. <laughs> well done, sir. Well timed. Well See? in. It's not just Petey who likes his humor. The yes. Mangum Talks folk like his humor too. We approve. Mark Mangum Talks approves of your humor. She laughs at that. She says, you've been sitting on that one. She walks out, cut to the icicles and back to, uh, Mark as he, uh, is, is out and he is cleaning. The gutters on his home. Yep. The mundane things of life. He looks across the horizon, gets a call from Miss Selvig. Okay, so replying was last night, or recycling was last night, Miss Selvig. Today's garbage, and you keep putting your bin on my side. Mark says he can't talk. He's out at dinner. He clarifies he's by himself. He says, it's Pips, Bar and Grill. And, the guy and, sits. And you're giving, you're already giving Pips a good score on Yelp from what you say? Yeah, Pips looks great. It looks like, you know what? I'll tell you this. When you're at a place like this looks like, 
this kind of very modern style. I'm gonna, of I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some life advice here from from me. Go on. Order the club sandwich. It's a club sandwich type of restaurant. This is a very much club sandwich kind of restaurant. I'm with you on that. Would they just, would, would it be chips or fries that come with the club sandwich? I think you just go with whatever comes with it. Don't get the fruit. Don't don't do that. No, uh-huh. no, 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 no. no. You're, getting uh-huh. a, you're getting a fruit cup. But you're ordering fruit at this kind yeah, of place. But it's a club sandwich type of place. I think that's that's very fair. Um, so the guy sits down across from him and says, "Hang up quickly." Mark tells Miss Selvig the food is there and he has to go. He hangs up. The guy across from Mark says, "Hi, kids. What's for dinner?" So. There's your connection. That's how you know the that message he was, to the audience. He was with Mark on the inside. That he's not full of shit. This yeah. is how I know he's not full of shit. I already suspected this guy was Petey when I saw him in the yard. This proved it 100 percent my mind. Hi, Petey. Nice to meet you. Sorry, you won't get that reference. Mark asked if he's followed him. Says your voice is different here. Worse. That goes to what Spencer was talking about. How he, this guy almost seems to change between mm-hmm. his in and his Audi. Hey, he looks worse. He sounds worse. He seems beaten down on the outside. Inside perks up. Different type of intonation in his voice. 100%. Petey. My name is Petey. I'm from work. Mark says that's not plausible. Everyone from my work department is. Petey finishes the sentence severed. Severed. I was. Ah! Head explodes. Mark Was? Mark's fighting this one already. What? it's, It's permanent. You know, it's permanent. It's like. Yeah, bypassing the implant that already doesn't match the description we heard about it being like, you know, a surgical severing kind we of thing. We thought it was a biological type change in the brain. Instead, we, it seems like a implant. We, 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 I was thinking it was some kind of like almost like lobotomy where they're just That's severing, they're severing parts of the brain. Like, but no, no it's an put, implant. That is a very interesting distinction. And the fact that they can, that can be adjusted is again, nothing what we're hearing from Lumen Fitz. Huh? We can't trust the omnipresent corporation. Look at that. And the implant would make sense if you're talking about there's this threshold where it flips over. The scanner right? in the elevator, yeah. There's a scanner type thing. Exactly. Um, so Mark doesn't know what to do with that awkward silence. PD doesn't look so good. Mark says, so what? You were unhappy at work and instead of lodging a complaint, you and PD says, no, I tried that. So did you. So did you. Mark says, so you've unsevered and now you what? Think they're after you or something? PD just looks at him and says, Yeah. No joking, no sarcasm, just yes, that's it. We get another name that I don't think we've heard otherwise before. They being Grainer, did I write that down right? Or Grainer or something like Grainer, that? Grainer, G-R-A-N-E-R. Who's probably out here right now. The, what? What is we going on? We don't know him. We don't like him. I like that Petey's taking the time to try to bring him along. It's like, you, yes. you liked me. You didn't like this guy. Like, trust me. Like, I, I, I know that, like, Mark can't trust him right now, but he's at least extending that olive branch. Like, he understands that Mark's not going to understand all these things. Petey's doing this very well. He's, if I was in Mark's shoes, he's leading me very effectively. But there's a capstone line later that just sells me on, okay, I can believe everything this man says just based on how he just said that one line. Petey, hands him a card, says, Nothing down there is what they say. If something happens to me, the things I know need to stay known. I'd prefer it be my, be by a friend. Petey gets up and leaves. Mark says, so we're friends. Petey says, I'm your best friend. You're my very good friend. That line sold me. That line would have sold me in the moment is that it would have been so easy to just say, yes, we're best friends. The fact that he made the effort to make that kind of just clarification is like okay the author i've got a feel of this being authentic now that does feel weirdly specific yes that that is a weird that is a weird 
if this is a purely a lie, that seems an unnecessary diversion away from what would be an easier narrative. Yep. So, hmm. Petey leaves Pips. Mark is left there in a booth alone. With a card. He has, he has his card. Mark gets in the car. He pulls out the card, opens it. It says, happy birthday, niece. Mark, sorry about the card. Had to grab something. I know it's not appropriate, although I'm sure you'd be a really fucking awesome youth. I like that line. Potentially, potentially line of the episode here. We used to wonder what kind of men we were on the outside, what choices we had made and why. I used to think it would take a monster to put someone in a place like that office, especially if the person was himself. But we're not monsters, Mark, not real ones. If you don't want to know what's going on down there, I won't force it. But if you do, there's an address on the back of this card. Go alone. And you'll find the beginning of a very long answer. And there is an address on the back of the card. There is. We see Mark get out of the car. He takes his trash to the sidewalk. Mark, is that you? There it is. Did you know right then? Yep. Didn't even necessarily process the voice, but just the moment that we say, oh, we're going to meet this person, it's his boss. It's like, clicked. It's like, that would be a wonderful narrative decision if that was the case. She says, well, you color me embarrassed for the mix-up with the bins. How was dinner? Mark says, fine. You know, just tired. You know, my mother was a Catholic. There you go. Not consistent. <laughs> no, but another story about her mother. So yes. this, whoever this is, unless it's all bullshit, also remembers her mother. Yes. And from the face we get of her here in a second, I'm pretty fully convinced this woman is not severed. She used to say it takes the saints eight hours to bless a sleeping child. I hope you weren't rushing the saints. Mark, you're good people. And we get the reveal. Mrs. Selwig is the same person as his boss at Lumen, and she watches him go on, sort of lingers, episode ends, and her, end of episode one. And she maintains a smile at first, but as he walks away and he's no longer staring at her, she returns to her exact expression she otherwise regards him when they're on the severed floor. This woman is aware of this guy's existence in both realms. And she's, for some reason, telling different stories about her mom. Atheist inside, Catholic outside. Maybe it's a certain even element of test to see whether he's picking up on the differences. So there you go. Recap. That's the end of the recap. Episode one. Heck of a Woo! first episode. Heck of a first episode, Spencer says. All right, Spencer. You want to do some best lines of the episode? I'm ready if you are. Sure. I've got some nominees this week. I actually did my homework. Let, let, let's go through a list. Round Robin style. I'll do the ones I, I, I know when we get to them. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, first one, again, I just loved it because I'm taking that damn handshake. Oh, a handshake is available upon request. It was so inhuman. It was so that we, we exist in a purely corporate landscape where any aspect of warmth is done by, by committee. I like that line. It set a good tone for going forward. Uh, the board won't be contributing to this meeting vocally. Same vein right there. How about this one from my guy Dylan? Yeah, and if he doesn't see me finish, I might get passed over for refiner of the quarter and miss out on my goddamn waffle party. Can't, can I have that damn waffle party? Absolutely. Uh, this is a line from, um, I'm suddenly blanking on his name. Uh, what, what is Irving? Thank you. Mark? Uh, no, 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 no um, uh, I've it down here. Mr. Milchick. Mr. Milchick. Milchick. Uh, where he says, I know you and Petey were close. Uh, no, sorry, this is actually Mervin. I know you and Petey were close. He was the only one who really appreciated your humor. Yeah, because Milchick also talks about their relationship. Yeah, it was, right. it was fa- interesting favorite to work friendship, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, from Mark when he's talking to, uh, Hilly. Uh, okay, my name's Mark, and, uh, so a few years back, I woke up on this table, in this room, and a disembodied voice asked me 19 times who I was, and when I realized I couldn't answer, I told the voice that I would find and kill him. Don't know why I said that, I mean, I was scared too, Hilly. Did you kill the voice? No. 
The voice's name was Petey, and he became my best friend. So look, you know, there's a life to be had here, Helly. <laughs> I got one. Am I dead? No. This is like hell or something? No. And why can't I leave? You did leave. Into the stairwell, at least. You left, but you came back. I did not. You did. Come hmm. on. A uh, line from uh, Mark's boss. Weaponizing office equipment on your first day. You're going to be fun. Look, I do sympathize. I've wanted to pummel Mark myself. But I'm his employer, and he is your department chief. So we'll both have to be strong. The good news is, there's only one part left of your orientation, which Mark can't possibly derail. A video. I think my I think every question about Lumen at the dinner party. Do you design the medicines? I thought Lumen was Jesus one of the tech side of things. They began in the 1800s. Topical cells. Why? What? What don't they make? Uh, uh, line line that you already read, so I won't repeat it. But the line from the boss about the mom being an atheist about you know the good news and the bad news. Interesting line. It feels like that was very much a let's go lean briefly into the philosophy of the show kind of thing. Uh, line from the sister. I'm proud of you for taking that job. I really am. I think that she would have been too. I know she would have been. I just feel like forgetting about her for eight hours a day isn't the same thing as healing. I agree, sir. Keep going. Uh, I'm sorry. I just had to drown out the memory of mom and dad switching out my beds when we were kids. Funny-ass line. Well done. Good line, Mark. I get your humor, too. Not just Petey. Uh, Petey, nothing down there is what they say. If something happens to me, the things I know need to stay known. I prefer it be by a friend. So we're friends. I'm your best friend. And you're my very good friend. And then also, you read it, but Petey's whole card at the end, a lot of good stuff to be put there. All right. So, <clears throat> best line of dialogue from the week for Severance Episode 1 is... I'm proud of you. She would have been. I just feel like forgetting about her for eight hours a day isn't the same thing as healing. That was my favorite line. I'm glad you picked that one. Yeah, and it's that, that if I had to do a honorable mention this week it would be so i guess we know where you fall with the congressional goings-ons because yeah. i feel like that's so loaded and it ask it, it opens the door because i think i think purposefully our world is from the show is focused on this office it's focused on what's going on in the offices the details of it very specific details about like what they're reading from which binder and how the how the office equipment is set up all this stuff all that's very important but you get these tiny little windows into what's going on here is being talked about by the rest of the fucking world. Like it's a big deal. The severed procedure and what Lumen is doing. Congress is holding this, hearings on it. This is not operating in a vacuum. This is not hidden by shadows right. in any way. This is part of the world and part of the world's knowledge. And they want you to spin out. They want you to wonder like, is it on TV? Like are the, are the news talking about it? Like, what do people think about it? Like are the people who are severed, are they ostracized in some way? Is that why they all live in this potentially it, same little area that Lumen maybe creates. I mean, what what is Congress talking about? Are you trying to outlaw so many questions that come up just from that one line? Did Lumen invent this? Or is this something they've just now used as part of their operations? Is this something that exists elsewhere in the world? Are, you know, various dictators out there now using this against their own people? I don't know. I think I think the idea that we know that they were founded on topical solves, which, mm -hmm. by the way, were bullshit, which was like snake oil. <laughs> oh, you don't want that they were, you don't want arsenic on your skin, sir. That Lumen Industries started as literal snake oil salesmen, I think, is really, really important. Mm -hmm. All right, employee of the week. Who are we going to award? Uh, my nominee, if you would bear it, Mister Milchik. Mister Mil Milchik is wearing so many hats in this office, and from what we've seen, 
He's the only guy that's actually happy to be there. He enjoys his coworkers. He enjoys watching their relationships. He wants them to be happy. And he's the one that really makes all their other jobs possible. Mr. Milchick is truly the man that makes this office run. I disagree. I think Mark is happy to be there. Mark seems happy. Uh, we, we, we've heard from Petey that Mark's about was filing formal complaints. Is that the sh- is that the that action of a is that the yeah. action of a happy employee? I don't know. I, we don't we don't know what he's filing formal complaints about. Although I think Petey might tell us. I'm going to go with Mark. Mark has a Mark gets promoted. He gets injured. He gets promoted. And he has to and he has to onboard somebody who is a fucking kind of difficult to deal with person. I think Mark does a, a bang up job for his first day. As manager of this particular department, shout out Mark. He gets my my nominee. Uh, your Mark misses the prologue when he's delivering the intro seminar. That is unacceptable behavior, and it clearly caused all the problems that followed thereafter. That is not in any way the hallmark of a proper Lumen employee. If you know anything about me, I I'm okay with imperfection. Totally okay with somebody not doing a perfect job if they're trying. Think his heart's in the right place, and I think that through his imperfection. He's developed a little bit of a rapport here with Helly. A little back and forth. She sat close to him. She's talked to him like kind of like more like a normal person. I think that might that might help him later. Maybe perhaps helped might by help the him. fact that her other coworkers, one of them is mean mugging her and the other one's hitting on her. Do you think Irv's hitting on her? Yeah, I think Irv's her initial comment of, oh, she looks nice when she's laid out on the table. Irv may be a bit of an issue. Okay, hold on to that. We'll talk about that later. Uh, all right. I think we're done with the formal segments for Mala. I am going to kick back here in my Lumen branded reclining chair and I'm going to listen to Spencer's questions of the week. Are you going to answer them when I ask them? We shall see. Okay. First question. Am I really to be, to be led to believe that this is surgery that is happening to these people? Because they're suggesting originally that this is some kind of, you know, lobotomy that's occurring to them. Later we hear it's some kind of implant that's installed on them. But from Helly's description, there's, what, a two-hour separation that's happening between that video and her being looking up on that table? What kind of surgery is occurring there that's doing anything with your brain? Why are their heads not shaved? Why is there no scar? Why is there no aspect of, you know, why is there no aspect of painkillers that occur thereafter? Sir, this surgery don't make sense. Should I make a note of that for later? So let's let's go with the implant, right? We're going to believe Petey just for sake of this conversation. If the implant does fade you as you go into the into the it, elevator it, and go down, pain. My question is: Does whatever does the implant have to occur between when Helly does the video and when she goes in? I'm postulating they could have they could have implanted that thing in her God knows when. As I long was, as she doesn't go down the escalator, it doesn't kick in. So they could have put that in her a month ago. I would find it fascinating if every single employee in that building is ready to be placed on the severed floor. They're just doing a trial run on a few particular ones first. That is a very interesting concept. Uh, PD reprogramming. When, why, and how? We heard that just yesterday, he was in the office, he had the sniffles, but otherwise no one saw anything wrong. And in that 24-hour period, this guy apparently, unless he was hiding it on the day of, in which case, kudos, my friend, well done. He got reprogrammed, he got found out about, because I'm presuming that's the reason he was let go, was that they they caught on about this, and he's already working out a plan. That is an impressive degree of achievement, if my, you know, timeline is correct, but I'm... 
I'm leaning towards he's actually had this done for a bit of time and was hiding the fact that he'd had it done. These are questions. These are questions. Uh, the work they are doing, again, I don't, what we're being told on the surface is that this is sensitive enough as to require the severance procedure. Bullshit from what we see of it. As you oh. said, I don't think they're trying to hide this too much. This doesn't seem like work. This is, seems like something that, you know, you could very successfully train monkeys to do and they'd enjoy doing it for the proper incentive. You know what? I don't really love that. That, you know, cause monkeys can do really complicated things. I, mean, I know. Especially if you're talking about great apes. I mean, they have extremely complex social hierarchies and societies. We shouldn't use but, them. How about well, lab rat? Could we do lab rat? We could do lab rats. Let's do one for a friend. Otters. Trained otters could do this. That great. is a great one because they actually have fingers and the little opposable digits and all that. Yeah. Otters, otters it is because you could train a chimpanzee to do highly complex things. Absolutely. And probably could train otters to do more advanced to this, but somehow this is the job that is sensitive enough as to require the Mine's severance sweeper. procedure. I don't buy it for an instant. And I find it very curious that the characters in the innies don't We've not seen them yet question the nature of their work. They seem like they're thinking that there are important projects that they're doing that have to be released at certain times. I'll be curious to spend more time with them to see whether there's any degree of analysis of, this is kind of bullshit, right? Like, Do you they know, have any context? Any context about the world to which... I don't know. To, cre- to have that, to, to come to that conclusion that it's bullshit. Because that would require understanding what... I don't know. A point of comparison. Actually, perspective. A point of comparison. What actually could be beneficial to a company like this, right? I, I don't know what knowledge they have inside or out. I only know what they don't have. And I've only got very limited examples in that regard. I'm convinced that this is an experiment. That this is not real. This is a trial run. They're being watched at all times. They're being monitored for various things inside and outside the office. This is very much meant to be a control, a, a testing group to assess the severance procedure. That's my current theory I'm sticking with. These are uh, questions. Uh, you already kind of suggested that the severance procedure may have been around for a while, given Irving's kind of description of it, which I find interesting. Because he's not talking about, like, this... His description of, you know, back in the old days seems like, you know, more than like a decade ago kind of the old days, which is interesting if that is indeed how long the severance procedure has been around, and he's been a part of that experiment. I'm correct about that. Also questions. Uh, who and who is not severed? I'm pretty convinced Mr. Milchek and Mrs. Koble are not. Miss Koble are not, based on the evidence we've received so far. Mr. Milchek's very experimenter kind of comments. Mrs. Koble's sharing stories. But that was interesting there. That was almost, I don't, I'll find it interesting to see whether Mark thinks about that one later or whether they know that people like Mr. Milchek and Mrs. Koble are not severed. Because the fact that she shared a story about her mom with Mark Seems like a hell of a telegraphing that, oh yeah, she's got memories from outside this place too. Maybe he straight up knows that she isn't severed, but I don't have, I don't have any information there yet, because that seems otherwise a hell of a hint to him. Uh, we talked about the collapse and return, we don't need to go back into that anymore. Why are they lying about the procedure being reversible? Uh, I guess from an experimental standpoint, they truly <laughs> want the people to be convinced why? that these are why? Two- you really wondered about that one? I did wonder about that. Yeah, in terms of particular reasons. And that, and I mean, you don't want them trying to reverse it. Yes. You don't want them doing exactly what PD did. So that seems like a pretty obvious lie. Well, it also seems like a useful from a mindset standpoint that they need them to be convinced that it is reversible to also make the, you know, the experience of the two be truly separate. Yeah. If you ever have an idea of an exit plan, they're not truly separate worlds. Yes. 
and also of the people that were referred to that I find most interesting, Grainer I expect we're going to find more of if I have, an, if I have a, the right suspicions about where this show is going to go. He seems like some element of an enforcer. He seems like, you know, the devasser that is, you know, constant, that is, that is seeking to enforce the will of the company where necessary. I'll be curious to see what that means and what that kind of, how much this is like, you know, a Whalen Yutani kind of unethical at all times in the world and gets away with it kind of corporation or not. And Mr. Grainer and how he operates will reveal a lot on that point. Okay. These are all questions that you have. These are the questions. These are my ponderings. These are my uncertainties. These are the things that will be first and foremost in my very much unsevered brain as I return to this world next week. All right. So there we go. All right. So we have wrapped up our segments. We've wrapped up our recap. Spencer, if you stumbled upon this show, you and I had not discussed it. Nobody had reference to to you and you just watched it on your own. TV guide finding. Would you be intrigued enough to watch episode two? It has been very hard to wait the week and a half due to delays between me watching it and me not watching the next episode. This is a show I'd want, I would normally watch all 10 in a heartbeat if I had the means. So I did the thing where I caught it on its like six week or something. So mm-hmm. I was able to binge half the season or a little bit more and then, finish and then had to start waiting week by week. How and hard the was that? Week by week waiting just fucking sucked. And they, the waiting between seasons has just been, I, I have had to sever myself. I have to have <laughs> my severance watching in one part of my brain and then my other half of my brain that just doesn't focus on it because I can't wait for the show to come back. I adore it. I think it's, it's fascinating and it's especially a good show to talk about. So as we get going, as we go through more episodes, more is uncovered through this mystery box storytelling. We will have more and more to discuss. I think that's my prediction. Looking forward to it, man. I'm excited. I am too. Thank you for doing this with me, Spencer. And thanks everybody for listening. This is a Mangum Talks podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, you enjoyed listening to Spencer and I talk about television. Oh, ho, 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 do I have something for you? More to Go to megatalks.com and Spencer and I have talked about many, many, many television shows and we have enjoyed every single one of them. Go to mangumtalks.com to check all that out or go to your favorite podcast platform. Just type in Mangum Talks. Mangum Talks. You can also check out our social to get updates on stuff that Spencer and I care about or things that we're going to be reviewing or even to engage with us. So I have to talk to a lot of our, our fans that way. So you can go to Twitter uh, and check us out at Mangum Talks or Facebook.com slash Mangum Talks. I respond to every message that we receive. I still can make that claim that I'm still doing that, even though it starts to get untenable at times. But I still do it. Why, Spencer? Podcast, Podcast professionals. professionals. That's right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back with you next week for Episode 2 of Season 1 of Seven.